Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Geconia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, citizens of Giconia. This is your host, Dave, speaking. I hope everybody's doing good tonight. Um, been really looking forward to this show all week, well, since we decided to do it. And uh, just so you guys know, this is going to be a recurring theme on Gecko Nation Radio. We're going to be doing roundtable discussions um, quite regularly. And um, I'm, we haven't figured out exactly, you know, which day it's going to be or how many times a month it'll be. I'd like to do it at least once a month in addition to our regularly uh, scheduled broadcasts. Um, again, I just want to thank all of you guys for supporting this show and making it such a huge success already. And um, it's just inspiring for me to keep going and doing it. Um, I never in a million years thought that this would take off as well as it has. And, um, you know, in the old show, the, the roundtable discussion was the most downloaded and most listened to episode that we had, if I recall correctly. Um, uh, and I'm expecting it to be the same with this. Uh, this is going to give everyone a chance to interact directly with um, with us and with the, the breeders that are going to be doing the discussions. And um, we're going to be opening the phone lines tonight for your questions. And uh, I promised Marcy that I was going to give away a free gecko uh, to a lucky listener tonight. I reserve the right to not send the gecko to someone that I don't feel too care for it. But I, what I think we're going to do is I think what I'm going to I'm going to raffle the gecko off uh, to people that call in. So, for instance, I'll keep the names and the phone numbers of everyone that called in tonight with questions and put them in a random name generator after the show and uh, announce the winner. And uh, the winner will be responsible for shipping. And the deal was between me and Marcy was that she was, uh, she was going to build the cafe uh, press site, which is up and running. You guys can go buy Gecko Nation Radio memorabilia, shirts, hats, mugs, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, there's also stuff that isn't like Gecko Nation related, like just Gecko related stuff. And we're going to be adding all kinds of cool stuff, like some of my best pictures and um, of geckos and stuff will be on shirts for you guys to have and buy. And I'm also going to get in touch with our sponsors and well-known breeders and contributors to the show to see if they'd like their own uh, special animals on shirts and stuff. All right, so uh, I'm going to leave that wide open for people to contribute because uh, I want it to be something that we can all use and all benefit from so it's not like just my stuff that's on the shirts, you know what I mean? So um, I just want it to be like a community type of type of thing. So um, see, what else do I want to tell you guys? Oh, of course, uh, Get the Nation Radio would not be possible without our sponsors. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, 
contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Razor Sharp Reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor Sharp Reptiles is also known for high-end fat tails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out RazorSharpReptiles.com online and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. All right, everybody. I was just cracking up um, seeing Matt's picture on Facebook. That's just too funny. Um, all right. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little off tonight, guys. There's so much going on. All right, one last thing that I definitely got to tell you guys about, and that is right here. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Hey, uh, Mr. Scarborough, let me know what your um, your area code is because you're not using the phone number that I'm used to. I want to make sure I bring the right person on for the uh, for our interview tonight. And uh, let's. I see Matt's number here, so I'm going to go ahead and bring Matt on right away. Matt Veronic, welcome to Gecko Nation Radio. Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, glad to be here again. Um, this is, what, three times in the last week, so <laughs> <laughs> definitely been on the radio show a little bit this week. That's awesome, though. You know, it, it, it's great. I'm glad that you're uh, you're uh, participating in it, and it's just, you know, it's just so good for people to, you know, get all this great information out. So it's a lot of fun. I'm glad you're involved. Um, I, I know John's on the line. I just don't know. There's a, there's a whole bunch of numbers here, and I don't want to pick the wrong one. And he, I'm used to his his area code on the cell phone, but I don't think he's calling from the cell phone. 
So um, I just want to wait for him to uh, give me his area code so I can bring him on. Hope you're hearing me, John. Um, but all right. Uh, so what's going on, Matt? Uh, nothing. Just uh, busy setting up the new place um, and, <laughs> you know, traveling back and forth to Pennsylvania still. Um, so that's, uh, oh my God. That, that, that's always fun. Um, you know, because there's uh, a lot of loose ends that i got to tie up at, uh, you know, at my, my old house in Pennsylvania before we put it on the market, like uh, um, actually putting in carpeting where the gecko room used to be, repainting the, the room, um, all that stuff so that we can put it on the market and ha- have it as actual, like, living space, um, which it, it was before we, um, be- before I destroyed it um, and, and turned it into my gecko room. Um, so... Uh, you know, the wife definitely wanted me to return it to its uh, previous condition, if you will. Um, <laughs> so uh, definitely have to, you know, you know, go back a couple more times. And then uh, actually I, I was unable to fit everything that I needed um, in the truck. Um, you know, I, I just basically brought everything that was, you know, a necessity um, with, with the first move. And then I actually still have probably another load or two um, with my car that I have to bring back up to Connecticut. So, uh, you know, the, this, this next trip is definitely going to be the, uh, the big screen TV. So I have something to watch while I'm cleaning gecko poop. Um, so, um, definitely have, uh, you know, a couple more things that I need to bring up. Basically, basically, or for the most part, it's just like glass tanks and stuff like that. Um, I didn't feel comfortable having a lot of that stuff in the back of the, uh, in the back of the U-Haul. Um, so, Okay. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad you're getting it together. I think we got Marsha here, too. And I got, I got John. Let me bring John on first, and I think we got Marsha as well. John, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. How are you doing tonight? Doing good, good John. Man. How are you? Good hearing from you. Good, good. Sorry about that. I was having some problems with my computer, and I couldn't get the number for Dot calling in, so but I got it all figured <laughs> out now. All, <laughs> all right. Let me, I'm going to take this call. I think it's Marsha. Let's see. Is this you, Marcia? I don't know. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> cool. It's I, I saw me. a weird, weird number. Awesome. I'm glad well, you're I'm able up to at, call I'm up me. At our home. Yeah, I'm up at our home in uh, Mariposa, and we finally got a, a landline up here, but it's hooked up to this, like, little electronic modem, and I haven't discovered how far away I can get from that little, like, it's like a miniature tower. <laughs> <laughs> without it cutting out. So I'm going to kind of hang around it. <laughs> as long as you can hear me, I can hear you. That's good. You know, the, the blog talk recommends that we use landlines, but I've been doing good on my with my iPhone, So, um, they, but they do recommend the landline. Um, before we why get into that? tonight's discussion, what's that, Marcia? Oh, I just wondered why they recommend landlines. Um, because there's always, like, bandwidth problems with Internet connections and, um, um, you know, people are on call. Yeah. Yeah, like wireless router issues, stuff like that. So, um, all right, everybody. So tonight's um, discussion for the roundtable is going to be about genetics, hidden recessive genes, so-called tainted lines. They ain't tainted. They beautiful. Um, they beautiful. Stuff like that. <laughs> they beautiful. And we're <laughs> we're going to get into all that tonight, and basically dispel the myths that are involved with that, and also get the truth about, like, you know, how concerned we should be about this issue. So I'd like to have the questions tonight limited to genetic-type questions. Um, so for you guys out there that want to call in and participate, 
The number is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646-478-5331. But before we get into the actual discussion, we must bring on Steve. Good evening, Gekonians. Good evening, Steve. <laughs> How you guys doing? How are you? I'm good. Pretty I think good. Everybody else is good too. Yeah, what's going on? Anything new and exciting? Um, uh, stories were kind of scarce this week, which I think is a good thing. But <laughs> in Tennessee, <laughs> Wildlife Resource Agency seized 53 venomous snakes from Pastor Andrew Hamblin. The snakes were the snakes were being kept in broken aquariums and plastic containers within the church. Some of the snakes Yeah. <laughs> some of the snakes were old and sick and even and some of them were even found dead. The pastor wow. comes yeah. The pastor comes from a long line of snake handling men of God from the Appalachian region. He was in violation of the law. Pastor needed a special license to house and handle the snakes. He didn't have the license and believes the seizure of the reptiles is unconstitutional. Hmm, interesting. I wonder how that will pan out. And actually, this this guy, I'm not sure, if, I couldn't find anything to re He's either already started a reality TV show or is going to be involved with a reality TV show based on his religion. So. Who's reality? Yeah. That's crazy. Exactly. Who's reality? It's got to be on no, Animal I remember, Planet. Yeah, well, I remember seeing something on TV a long time ago where these people, like it was a, like evangelist-type situation where the preacher had like venomous snakes and... Like, they were all in, like, one of those trances where they're all, you know, chanting and speaking in tongues and whatever, and um, they were letting people get bit by the snakes, and supposedly the whole thing was, because they were in this trance and they were talking to Jesus and God, the venom wasn't affecting them. But I tend to believe that these snakes were probably, you know, venomoid snakes or something, and, you know, they they couldn't have hurt the people anyway. Um, But then again, you know, who am I to argue with Jesus? Maybe Jesus did protect them. I don't know. But I remember seeing something I, weird like that. I can uh, I can explain a le- even a little bit more if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, as we all know, uh, one of the bases, the ba- one of the bases for uh, Christian religion doctrine is that Adam and Eve, who were the first people uh, on on the planet, uh, were tempted by a serpent who was very beautiful and very, very, very uh, seductive. He sed- basically, he seduced Eve into eating the fruit that she wasn't supposed to eat. And then, of course, Adam, being a, being a you know, being whipped, uh, said, well, whatever you say, Eve. And so he ate the fruit, and therefore the original sin occurred. And all mankind from that point on has to bear the burden of that original sin. Now, uh, I'm not saying this is what I believe. I'm saying that this, uh, I 
you know, as a minister, I have studied many, many religions, and I think it's kind of interesting. But anyway, the long story short is, by the use of venomous animals, part of, partially you were right in saying that if, if these people who are in tra- uh, speaking in tongues and in, uh, a, you know, a trance, so to speak, um, it, with the Holy Spirit, makes them um, invulnerable to uh, snake venom. But then what it symbolizes is uh, mankind's uh, dominion over uh, animals and uh, over the the temptation of Satan, embodied in a a serpent. So that's where that comes from, and that's where uh, those religious practices... Uh, come from mostly in the south, uh, in the deep south, and um, that's uh, that's what they believe and that's what they practice. Interesting. Um, Steve, would you happen to know that, or any of you guys happen to know what the actual term is for venomous snakes that have been devenomed? Isn't it venomoid? Yes. Uh, I thought it was venomoid. I think, so. I think it yeah. is. Yeah, all right. Glenn says maybe it's um, devenomed. I don't know. Yeah, no, they're venom- venomoid. Yeah, reptile yeah. talks. Yeah, venomoid. That's what it is. See, I was right, Glenn. Glenn was trying to say <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, go ahead, Steve. <laughs> okay, our our next story in Suffolk County. Law enforcement officials of Bayport, New York, are being trained to handle reptile-related encounters. And this training is a result of the rise in reptiles turning up loose on Long Island. And Mm. in the article, they talk about the the latest two reptiles were both alligators that were found. Oh, boy. All right, well, I guess guess that's a good thing. You know, at least they'll know what they're doing with them, you know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think, Matt and John? What do you guys think about that? Or, uh, about people hunting alligators? Or, <laughs> no, you know, them the letting them loose? <laughs> well, um, yeah, the whole thing. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, they're, they're it, I guess it's going to be part of their job, but usually they have, um, you know, animal control officers and stuff like that that will really have to be, you know, in charge of things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I guess it's something that they might have to do, but, you know, I don't think it's going to be that often, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence about people owning gators as pets, but, you know, I, I just have mixed feelings about it. I mean, it's it's one of those things that um, I, I think they should have a permit system for, you know, crocodilians, stuff like that, where you have to go through some sort of, you know, technical training or something um, and then kind of understudy other people. Um, I think that would be a responsible way of doing it. Um, I don't think that you can just say that, you know, nobody can own one. Um, but you know, there there has to be some sort of uh, training or understudy program that you'd have to do to do it. Like, uh, you know, I, I've worked with, a, you know, a few different types of species, or a few different species of crocodilian um, because I worked at the reptile zoo before, um, and I've actually owned alligators, um, 
you know, for many years. And, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if they're properly taken care of um, and you kind of know what you're doing and you're not an idiot about it, um, they're, they're very, very intelligent animals. I mean, mine, um, they, they would actually chirp for food. Um, you know, the, the ones that I uh, worked with at the zoo, they knew voice commands, they knew hand signals. Um, they're, they're very, very intelligent animals. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the people that own them aren't as intelligent as the animals that they are keeping. Um, Indeed. And that, that's whenever, um, you know, the Darwin effect takes place and, you know, stupid things happen. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that shouldn't be, you know, a, a reason for, you know, people not being able to own something, if you will. Um, and I, I mean, mm. the same thing goes with, you know, larger um, apex predators, tigers, lions, stuff like that. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, unfortunately, people can get a hold of them very easily without having to have um, the, the training behind them. And that's whenever mm-hmm. you can get into problems. I mean, I mean, look at all the, uh, you know, animals that are used in movies and stuff like that. There, there are responsible owners of these animals that are used in movies. And, you know, that's, that's something that's totally different. I mean, that, you know, in a way you almost kind of have to have those people. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's like I said before, like the, the person owning the animal has to be smarter than the animal. And, you know, unfortunately yeah. we hear horror stories of, you know, idiots, if you will, that don't know how to properly care for, handle, or, you know, take responsibility of the animals they are keeping. You know, I think there's two different types of reptile owners, maybe a few other different types, but, for, you know, there's the responsible ones that, that truly love these animals and really, you know, I don't know, just respect them and, and genuinely care for them. And then there's other ones that like these animals a lot, mainly get them because of their their shock value and because they're not your typical pet. And I think those are the types of people that typically acquire, like, really large snakes and wind up having these accidents with them or buying gators and then releasing them when they're bored with them and they can't find homes with them or whatever. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. But, you know, I think that's kind of what the issue is too. But, yeah. All right, Steve, why don't you go on to the next story? Oh, go ahead, Matt. You have something to say? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the other thing with, with owning animals that get really, really large. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not an idiot and I know that an alligator gets way too large for me to care for at some point. Um, and you, mm-hmm. you have to be responsible and know where that animal is going before it gets to the size that it's too big for you to, you know, handle comfortably as well. Um, you know, right. so, I mean, the the ones that I've had in the past, they've, they've actually went to zoos and to, you know, um, other, like, alligator park-type style things. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that aspect, it was, you know, I, I had them for a few years, and, and then they went to, you know, bigger and better homes, basically. And that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of the responsibility of owning something like that is you, you have to be able to know when when is when and, you know, whenever it's too big, it's, it's too big. It can't, you know, you can't, uh, you can't uh, risk your own life to, you know, keep, keep your pet. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right, Steve. Okay, our next story, a two-and-a-half-foot 
rainbow boa was found on a Chinatown sidewalk in Honolulu. Authorities were Hmm. notified, and the snake was picked up. Snakes are illegal in Hawaii. An amnesty program is in effect to allow people to turn in illegal animals if found possessing or transporting an illegal animal, a person would be committing a Class C felony, resulting in a $200,000 fine and up to three years in prison, and they don't know who left the snake on the sidewalk. Okay. Oh, my God. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. I couldn't live in Hawaii without my snakes. <laughs> I know. Well, you can't you can't live there with your dogs and cats and, and, unless you put them in quarantine for six months. Oh wow, I didn't Where's know that? that. In Hawaii, really? They, they can if do you, the uh, they can move, do the quarantine move, in the states though. Yeah, if you if you move to Hawaii and you have a pet dog or cat, it has to be quarantined for six months. Oh my uh, god, that, that that's only. That that's only if um, yeah you don't have the rabies tighter done, Marshall. Because we used to we used to uh, whenever I was in the military we used to send uh, families to Hawaii all the time, and it's like a six month process as far as you got to do um, like you have to have proof of like two rabies vaccines, and then you have to do a rabies titer on the animal, and right, they can actually right. do the quarant- they can do the quarantine in the states, um, but if you just try going there. Um, you know, without getting any of that stuff done, then it's, you know, six months quarantine. Right. That's well, you know, it's, it, I, I meant to say in-state, and it is a six-month ordeal. So it's pretty, yeah. they're, they're very serious about, uh, um, you know, they, they, they brought in the, the mongoose uh, to, to eradicate their snake problem, and now there are no more snakes in Hawaii, but the islands are overrun with these little, you know, uh, mongies or whatever you want to call them. They're everywhere. Little weasels or little, you know, ferret-like creatures that are all over the place. So there's not a single snake on any of the islands, but they're overrun with the weasels. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's weird. All right. What else you got, Our next story, and hopefully I pronounced this right, Northumberland in the U.K., a housewife discovered a python thoroughly cooked in her oven. The the family recently had a new oven installed and had cooked a pizza, and and when it was done, discovered the snake. Upon further investigation, they found out the ball python was a pet of a factory worker's daughter where the oven was manufactured. Oh, my God. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine? Wow. Huh. That's amazing. So it was stuck in the whole time. (laughs) Uh, Probably was looking for heat, but then found out there was just a little too much heat there, I guess, right? I guess God, so. I don't, I don't know who to feel sorrier for, the snake or the little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Or the people, or the people that bought the stove. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. Wow. Wow. Okay, our our last story of the night, 
An 18-inch alligator was found at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. The photos of a man holding the alligator riding the Blue Line train that leads to the airport were posted online, and this should allow authorities to find out the identification of the person who left the alligator at the airport. And they're assuming they left it there because they couldn't check it to get on the plane. <laughs> so, oh my God! They, I guess they tweeted photos, and uh, <laughs> in the article they they say that the pattern markings are as identifiable as a fingerprint on a reptile. Which I know that with uh, you know with my stuff, I can I can tell by their pattern who's who and everything, and that's how they're going to identify the person is they they've already identified that the alligator matches the alligators in the photos. They just have to figure out who the person is. Wow. That puts okay. a whole new spin on uh, snakes on a plane uh, when you can have alligators in the terminal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if um, Mr. Jackson is going to take that role or not, but, yeah, uh, that's that's funny. Gators in the terminal, snakes on the plane. All right. It's kind of corny, but it is funny. Um, <laughs> all, right. all right, Steve. For all, for all us ADD people out there, please give us a recap of our stories tonight. And for all you guys that are new to the show, one of these stories is a false story, and we're going to figure out which one it is. So go ahead, Steve. Hello? Steve? Yes. Yeah. You there? Hmm. I think he's gone. It says he's on. I don't. I can't hear you, Steve. Everybody's online here. Oh, oh Steve, Steve has dropped. Come it, back. Okay, he's gonna. He'll it's, pull. It's a. It's a cooking ball play, though. <laughs> I think it's either gonna be that one or, or the the ones where the cops are getting trained in New York. I don't know. We'll see. Let's just wait for no, them I, I, I can see I can see that because Long Island definitely will waste some money on some stuff. Yeah. Maybe maybe I should ask them if I can be part of their SWAT team for you know reptile rescue. We can start a reality show where I get bit by venomous snakes that are venomoid, and then I start praising <laughs> the Lord. And we can oh man, that, just, that is so you. You would just, you would like be the star. Oh yeah. I get all Gordon. All right, here he is. We got him back. Go ahead, Steve. (laughs) Hi, guys. Somehow I got disconnected. So you're back. I see some guesses on the chat here for the the false story. Yeah, give us a quick recap. Okay, the recap. For people that missed it. Okay, Pastor's Venomous Snake Collection was seized. Reptile Mm -hmm. training. Snake found in Honolulu. Python found an mm-hmm. oven, alligator at the airport. Wow. Oh, the airport one could be false, too. I'm going to go. Well, let's see. Marsha, you go first. What are you, your ladies first. Go ahead. No, I went first last time, and I was totally wrong. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, hmm. I'm going to say the uh, police training in Long Island. Mm, okay. Go ahead. Matt or John, whoever wants to go. 
Uh, I would say probably the, the ball python in the oven. That just doesn't seem <laughs> feasible at all. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. Uh, let's see. What are people saying in the chat room? I'm going to say that the cops being trained on Long Island because I don't know if they're going to really make a special force about that, special like training about that. Um, how about you, Matt? I'm, I'm going with the snake in the oven. Like in the oven? Okay. Yeah, that's probably going to be it. All right, Steve, what is the false story? Okay, the snake in the oven, but the only thing false about it was it wasn't cooked. It was, it actually happened, but it didn't get cooked. It survived, ah! it survived the oven, and it actually was some a factory worker's daughter's pet. That's crazy. Wow. It survived? Yeah. Yeah, it well, it, it had to have been in a in a you know in a tucked in a corner somewhere or something where the heat wasn't getting to it, but but yeah. <laughs> so they said they actually were cooking with the oven and it still survived. Yeah, they they had cooked a pizza in it. <laughs> oh, wow! And after the pizza, Jeez. it was actually two hours after the pizza was done, they found it. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I guess the ball part. I guess the ball python market really has crashed. They're giving them away with free ovens. For free <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Or, or using it as uh, a ploy to sell pizza. <laughs> or using it as a ploy to sell pizza. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Oh my god. Well, I'm sure they probably um, the, the apartment security probably took the snake and let it go at the nearest woods where it probably came from. Right, Steve? Yeah, really. They didn't. They didn't <laughs> say what they did with the with the snake. Well, well, they they called the yeah. they called the Suffolk County Police because they're trained now. So that's... <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's crazy. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for making the the short notice video for the roundtable, which is great, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, no, thank no. you for that. Awesome. You know, the first yeah. thing that came to mind. When I when you asked me to do that was Monty Python. <laughs> okay. Because I'm and, a big Monty and Python so fan. And, and and so did you like did you like picture uh, John and Matt and David and myself like galloping along on our uh, like invisible horses? I I, I yeah, thought it was actually I I thought it was going to be Marsha throwing her red locks at the uh, top of the thing and we'd have to climb up and save it. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would be behind you guys with the coconut. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a real ball to me. You know, maybe we should. What we should do is we should come up with a a regular video just for the roundtable, like one that we can use for each for every time, because we're going to be doing the roundtable discussion. You know, pretty regularly now. So maybe we can talk about doing something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, right, cool. I um, think I think I think the video stuff you're doing is just awesome. I get a big kick out of it, and it's just really appropriate and um, pertinent and entertaining, and it has you know very good aesthetic value. Right. Oh, thank you very much. Well, thank you for doing that. That's just great. Yes, you're thank real. You. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. We all do. Yeah. 
All right, cool. Um, Steve, why don't you give out your information for everybody and so they know where they can find you. Um, you can check me out, BC Barker Creations, on Facebook and YouTube. Awesome. All right, Steve, we will talk back with you next week. All right, great. All right, take care, bud. I'll talk to you, talk to you soon. All right, bye. Bye now. All right, everybody, the great Steve Barker. Okay, tonight's, tonight's roundtable discussion is about uh, recessive genes, hidden recessives. Uh, like I said earlier, this was a really big topic of interest uh, for the old radio show, and it's now in the lost episodes of Gecko Land Radio. So we are going to redo this episode, and this time it's not going anywhere. Um, now, at the time when we initially did this video, I mean this episode, there was a big thing in the community about, and it was probably a couple months ago, about certain gecko lines having either the Tremper albino gene in it or the Bell albino gene. And, you know, they were in there, but we didn't know if they were in there or not. And people were concerned, you know, whose lines were so-called tainted or not. Um, One of the first things that we started with with the last episode was we talked a little bit about the history, about how these lines could possibly have become, um, you know, mixed up a little bit. And... Uh, Marsha was essential for that part of the discussion because she's been in the hobby the longest, and she remembers a lot about the time when people were in a race to create the first radar um, and typhoon and whatnot. And you know, Marsha, why don't we start the? Yeah, why don't we start with that a little bit? And if you don't mind, maybe you can give us a little bit of the history of what was going on back then when yeah. when this little race was going on. Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to start out by saying that the last show that we did together, uh, the four of us, was, in my opinion, um, the the best the best show of its kind um, out there. It's going to be kind yep. of a tough um, a tough act to follow uh, <laughs> to wow. try to recreate it. And I'm, I feel very I sad that uh, it's those, that, that uh, very important information, uh, that show, is, is no longer there, and we'll do our best to make this one even better. But we know it will be different. But, okay, all right, mm-hmm. a little bit of history from the historian here. Um, mm-hmm. If we want to get back into history, uh, and we're talking t- over 20 years ago, about 20 years ago, uh, which is close to when I started um, out in this hobby, not, not so much as a breeder, but um, Ron Trimper was, uh, he worked for the Fresno, California Zoo in their exotics, uh, their rept- in their reptile house. Uh, mm-hmm. And somehow he acquired a, an albino leopard gecko. It was the mm-hmm. first of its kind. Nobody had ever seen one. None had, none had ever been collected in the wild. Nobody had ever produced anything out of their colonies. So he gets this, you know, uh, uh, albino and crosses and crosses it, makes hats and discovers that it is a true albino, that it is also, you know, an albino is a recessive trait, so you can make hats. And the trimper albino was born, uh, 
a lot of people who'd been in the business for any length of time were very skeptical about it. They were like, yeah, right, there's no such thing as an albino leopard gecko. We'd have it by now, but it, it really did happen. So Ron Trimper introduced uh, the Trimper albino uh, about 20 or close to 20 years ago. Uh, shortly after that, there was a fellow that lived in Las Vegas, and his name was Tim Rainwater. <clears throat> Tim Rainwater was uh, a very serious collector and breeder of leopard geckos, and he had other species of animals too, but um, he had a random mutation come out of his, out of his collection. And what, what that means is that he was, you know, combining this gecko with that gecko and so forth and so forth and so forth. And out of all of those combinations came up with an al another albino. Well, okay, so the first thing that they did, prove it out, was cross it with a tripper albino. Now, you've got to realize that this is, you know, 18 years ago or more. Mm -hmm. So guess what? The, the pairings didn't produce albinos. It, they produced double hats. Mm -hmm. Okay, they were normals, but they were het for a rainwater albino, and they were het for trimper albino. So guess what? The tainted genes <laughs> go way back. <laughs> this is nothing surprisingly new. Um, the, the difference is that this was a very isolated, controlled group of geckos that they, you know, that they could actually monitor and, um, you know, keep track of. So there was this big, there was this big, I don't know if it was a, it wasn't really a war, but there, there was quite a bit of belly bucking going on uh, between the two albino strains, and of course uh, everybody had to have some, so. Um, Tripper and Ron Tripper and Tim Rainwater were taking incredible amounts of money uh, to hold these future geckos for them from collectors and breeders who wanted them. Uh, the main mm -hmm. difference is that Ron lived up to his expectations, his, his part of the deal with the people putting money mm -hmm. out <clears throat> and produced Tripper albinos and Tim Rainwater took the money and ran. He vanished off the face of the earth with thousands mm -hmm. and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for oh rainwater God. albinos. Yeah. Okay, well, so at that point, the only, uh, the only rainwater av uh, albinos that were available were the people that were got in, you know, early enough who knows how much they paid for these morphs. Uh, so basically the entire future of the rainwater albino was lying in the laps of the people, the, the select few people who could afford to, you know, to have the first, you know, several of these animals that were, you know, produced. So everybody got so mad that they quit calling... The rainwater albino, a rainwater, and they named it the Las Vegas albino because Jim Rainwater was from Las Vegas. So 
for those of you who are new and just starting out and, and trying to understand the differences between some of these albino, the, the three basic albino strains that are out there right now, uh, it could even be more, uh, more confusing when you hear Las Vegas albino and, and rainwater albino. They are one and the same. So, uh, some years passed. Uh, you know, uh, several years later, um, uh, 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 a- uh, John and Amy Mack uh, had a random mutation pop out of their collection, too. It turned out to be the Mack Snow. And then if you cross them together, created the super form. So the whole world was really excited about the new Ma- the Max Snow morph that was out there, which was uh, which was a, a you know a, a, you know a uh, a dominant uh, you know, or a co-dominant trait, and so that hit the hit the streets and hit the bank and everything else, and everybody was working with you know the the, the Max Snows. Well, shortly after that, Reptile Industries in Florida, which is owned and operated by uh, uh, John, or excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, Mark and Amy, or I'm thinking Amy Bell. Mark and Ken. Thank you. Kim. Thank you. Uh, so that, that, the Bells were the ones that, you know, have their labs in Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they, they produced this random mutation, and they were like, whoa, what the heck is this? And it turned out to be yet a third albino strain that, that came in, and it was the second one that was a random mutation out of somebody's collection. What I used mm-hmm. to kind of scratch my head about was back then when you asked uh, Rain, Tim Rainwater or, uh, you know, John Mack or, you know, Mark Bell, how did they come up with these? How, how did you come up with these? They couldn't tell you. They, 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 they didn't know. It just <laughs> happened. Okay, so mm-hmm. here we go again. Drum roll, all right? Tainted jeans, <laughs> which, was, which, was, <laughs> which was already, you know, eight, nine years old by then to have genes that, you know, genetics that could have both, both Las Vegas and Trimper. But now we've got a third albino strain, and they could, they just scratch their head, and they'll look at you straight in the face. I'm not spreading a rumor. I'm not saying anything other than what I've heard from, you know, from Kim and Mark, straight from their faces. We don't know. So <laughs> here we go again with tainted genes. If you want to call them tainted, um, I kind of I, I hate that get word. upset when I heard. I did too. Uh, me too. When I heard "tainted" at, at first, that really used to bug me. Now it almost kind of makes me laugh a little bit. It's it's almost like a joke. Tainted lines, but the, mm-hmm. I guess what the, the the point where I'm going with this is having um, undocumented or unknown, especially uh, recessive traits in our uh, existing, you know, um, population of leopard geckos here in the U.S. Uh, is, it's just, it's not anything new. When it became a problem, when more and more and more people 
started doing the, you know, doing the, you know, uh, uh, Milton the Monster thing when they were just adding this to that and putting this to that and putting this to that. And everybody was hoping and praying that they could produce a random morph out of their colonies and retire on the money. Well, it hasn't happened since. Uh, well, ex- with the exception of the Enigma, and that was very short-lived. But, but so the more the more people breeding, and the more people making combinations, and and you know that the more the more the higher the incident or rate that we're going to start seeing unwanted or un unplanned for, we'll say uh, genes or you know genetics in in our geckos. This is not a new thing. It's been going on since day one, since I've been doing this, and it's been almost 20 years. Uh, but it's more prevalent now because of the number of people and the number of animals that are out there. So that's the history as I know it. <laughs> the end. Okay. Well, that, all right. My, my question now is, which breeder out there has a 100% pure collection? Which breeder has a 100% pure collection? Mm-hmm. Of, of, of what? Of leopard gecko, where they know everything that could possibly be in every single one of their geckos. Which breeder? Well, I, I would start by saying the three guests that you have on this program tonight. It's including well, it was kind of like a trick question. Well, it was kind of like <laughs> a trick question because nobody can say their collection is 100% pure. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. I, I, I mean, how can we do that? How? Right. And now if Eventually, we test bread and test bread and test bread and haven't, and haven't seen anything, then we have a, a fairly good, you know, idea that our you know, particular morph line is pure. Um, mm-hmm. I know that both John and you, David, and um, Matt and myself uh, work with pure genetic bloodlines of different uh, subspecies or localities, whichever you want to call them. But again, we had to get them from someplace, right? Right. Okay, yeah, and, and so the their their purity and their guarantee is only as good as the word of who we got them from. Right. I think a big now, point there, you know, too, is just, as she said, the word of the person that you get them from. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. we get heat a lot because we're honest about what we, we sell and what we what's in our geckos and you know, if if I'm one of those people that says, well, there's a possible head that this could be in here, rather than the guy that just sells it and says, you know, it's good, don't worry about it. You know, I get more heat than that person, but it's just because I'm being honest about it. So, you know, there's... Well, and you're more in the profile, to your higher profile uh, person, a uh, breeder too, John. So, you yeah, know... Yeah, I know there's breeders, my <laughs> they're way bigger than I am, but, you know, won't list the the 25% or the 12.5% chances or even possible heads at that point, you know. But if I don't label that, I just can't live with myself at night. So I get heat because I label something like that, and everybody's, oh, there's all these possible heads in this gecko. Well, 
you know, you're going to go buy it from the next guy that's not going to tell you about them is all it's that's going to happen. Tell you and, and, if you got a better chance probably, Yeah, and they're probably not yeah. taking as good of records, and they're not keeping track of things. So you're going to get that exactly. whole array of heads in there, possible mix heads, and you're not even going to know about it. So, you know, that's that's basically the difference. If anything, you know, us keeping detailed records like we are, we are definitely going to have pure collections you know, even if we are labeling things and saying, well, there's a possible chance of Eclipse in here or there's a possible chance of Tremper in here, you know, there's mm-hmm. a good reason we know that, and that's because we kept records of it. <laughs> exactly. Well, the other thing, too, John, is that, I mean, this could blow up in our faces, too, that if we, you know, if we start saying or, or claiming that this particular animal is a possible, you know, had rainwater, you know, even though the possibility is 33 and a third percent or less or whatever, I mean, people are going to start using that as a, you know, <laughs> you know, as a disclaimer, just a generic disclaimer. And I'm afraid, that, you know, that people are going to go, well, okay, this is going to let me off the hook if I say that there is a chance that this has a hit for something in it. And, and something pops up down the road, I'm off the hook because I just, I, because I, you know, I disclosed it. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one too. And people can't lie and say there's just a possible head of this or that just to save their butts. But I mean, it just comes down to the person, you know, if over time, I think the honesty is going to prevail and, you know, that person that keeps lying about it, people are going to figure it out. And that's just the way it goes, you know? Yeah. I mean, if I get yeah. if I get twenty geckos from one breeder and they're all possible heads, but they all end up being heads, you know, I'm gonna probably think something different. And that's um you know, and that's yeah, just comes not, down not to keeping track, right? Yeah, and I mean at this you know, as many geckos as I have or we have, you know, you gotta be honest about everything because otherwise you're just gonna catch yourself and you're you know, it's it's just if you're honest about everything, just keep it, you know, straight up with people. They're gonna, it's gonna be noticed, and it's you're never gonna, you know, make a mistake like something like that, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, well, I see what you're saying. The way I, just the way I feel about it is, you know, go ahead. I'm but, sorry, John. I thought you were done. Oh, I'm just go saying ahead. that you know you can use that as a disclaimer, but I'd rather be honest about it and you know let the person know what well, so would I, and, and so know, and so most of the people I know, yeah. But I agree. I agree. There's, all, there's all these different problems that we're going to face. You know, there's there's people that are going to they're going to do that. There's people, you know, that are um, where was I going with that? It's just there's going to be all these different types of problems like that. There's going to be people that are going to just crossbreed albino strains and you know not tell people either. You know, it's just it all comes down to honesty. You know, I think. At least. How mm-hmm. how. How pervasive do you do you feel that this is in this uh, community, John? This the dishonesty or the uh, or lack of ethics or whatever you want to call it. How pervasive do you think that is? I think among people starting off and not knowing better, I think they really don't get the or take the grasp of how bad it can be. You know, I get people that are always you know they'll buy geckos for me and I'll just I'll just throw out the question there without them even asking or anything. I'll be, are you planning to breed this stuff together? And they're like, yes. And they're, they're knowingly crossing albino strains. And, you know, whether that's from them, you know, blatantly doing that or from ignorance, I don't know. But I think, you know, it could be a combination of both or, you know, sometimes one or the other. But, yeah, I think it's definitely there for sure. I mean, you know, you're always going to get the people breeding pet store geckos and never doing their homework and, 
never knowing that they shouldn't do that. And, well, and it's, it's very difficult continue. to do your homework on a pet store animal because you really don't have any, you don't have any idea where the animal came from and the origination and the you know the lines it came from or anything. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that they don't know that you shouldn't breed that gecko just right, because you don't right. know. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's going to be people. Let me let me jump in for a second, why, guys. Go ahead. Let me just let me just jump in for a second, guys. Um, I, I I think statistically, and this is this is really important for everybody out there. You guys mentioned pet store geckos. Um, you know, if you're looking for the purest lines and the and the you know geckos that are most likely to be what the breeder says they are. Then today, there's there's very few sources that you can depend on, and the further you go down the line from certain sources, the more riskier the genetics becomes in a lot of cases. So, for instance, the pet pet stores and the big chain pet stores are like the absolute muddiest genetically waters you can possibly get your geckos from, and I'm sure you all would agree with me on that. So, yeah, like today, I don't I don't take in too many geckos, but the geckos that I do take in are from a few, a few very select sources. And that's because statistically, in my mind, I know that I have the cleanest and purest geckos in circulation right now because I did go to certain sources and I didn't go so far down the line. And that's not to say that, you know, there's going to be untrustworthy people down the line. It just means that, in my opinion, you know, those people just may not know what's in their animals because it's gone through so many different breeders. And uh, you know, do you think do you think I'm on the money about that, guys? Yeah, I think that you know the pedigree of your animal is very important too. You know, I don't have a. A lot of times, I'll tell people, you know, like I get a gecko from Matt, and I bred that, and I'll just tell them that you know that's the parent of this gecko that I'm selling you, and people can have confidence in that because they know that Matt didn't try to, you know, he did his best to never cross any albino strains, and his collection is very pure. You know, same thing goes mm-hmm. with, um, you know, Marsha's stuff. Like, I have some of the Murphys from her line. Um, and, um, you know, just being able to say that, you know, some of those geckos came from her, I have confidence in saying that, you know, these are going to be pure to the best of my knowledge. And there's actually, it's not like a credit rating, but it kind of is in a way. It's like this breeder kind of has like a rating as far as their honesty and as far as the, the geckos that they have that, you know, that they're going to be, pure and trustworthy line. So you can almost say, you know, if you're going to buy cheap from an unknown breeder that doesn't have a good reputation, well, when you're going to be selling that gecko to the next customer, you're going to have to tell them, if if you're honest about it at least, you're going to have to tell them that, you know, I bought it from so-and-so, and that person might not buy from you because of that, you know. Right. I know, mm-hmm. I know because I always ask where, the breeders came from when I buy geckos from people that are not on my common, you know, buying um, list. And when they say somebody that I don't really, or I know certain lines that might be, you know, messed up, you know, I will, I won't buy that gecko just because of it. So. Right. It, right. Well, I think, yeah, I just, think that, that there, I think that there's a problem uh, along with those, uh, and I'm 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 just playing the devil's advocate here, John, and mm-hmm. you listeners. Is that okay? So let's just come up with a number. Let's say that there's a dozen reputable breeders. Okay, and I'm just pulling this out of my ear. Okay, there's a dozen reputable reputable breeders out there that people have faith and confidence in 
uh, not only in the quality and robustness of their animals or, and or their uh, reputation of, of having, you know, good customer service or being forthright and, and all that, how does a new person get started then? How does a new breeder, uh, up-and-coming breeder, who has all kinds of potential, who's got what it takes, how do they compete with that? They make the mistakes like everybody else did. And that's that's how they (laughs) learn. I mean, I I said they make the mistakes like everybody else did, and that's how they learn. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's true. I mean, it's, if they learn, yeah, yeah. Well, if if they learn, but I mean, I I kind of want to touch on like Dave's original question. I I actually don't like his question because it makes it seem as a community that all of our animals are messed up, and I think there's a big difference. It was a between, trick question. Well, no, no, no. Wait, <laughs> let me no, let me explain. Because you know the people are going to listen to this and take that the wrong way. Um, all right, go ahead. Yeah, I get it, you. It, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where you know, there's a big difference between, you know, knowing the exact genetics of every single animal in your collection and uh, and basically knowing the genetics of the animals that you're selling. There, there's a huge difference between the two. And, and I, I want to go even further on that, is the, the geckos that you're selling retail to, you know, people that could be breeding animals. Like, there, there's a huge difference between the animals that you're selling retail to people that could be breeding these animals, wholesale animals, and then, you know, there, there's a whole other realm of animals that, you know, people pump out just for pet stores. And, you know, somebody was actually asking in the, ch- in the chat room, you know, like, well, does that, like, if, if an animal came from reptile industries, does that mean that it's pets fell? No, that doesn't. Like, because the bells actually have trappers at their at their facility. They have bells. They've got. They, they've got In my case, they were trapped for trimpers. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's. Um, <laughs> and, sorry, know, that's, I sorry, sorry. No, no, sorry. I just had so, to throw that I mean, in there because I could. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things yeah. that like just because you got a pet store animal that might have came from one of the top three breeders of of volume, that doesn't mean it's necessarily het for anything. I mean, they produce a lot of leopard geckos that are probably heck-free. I mean, because they, they just produce on such a, a large quantity of animals. And the other crazy part is the, the top three big guys, they've actually sold animals back and forth to each other. And, and I know that for a fact. So, yeah. you know, nobody knows what those genetics are. I mean, that, that's the wholesale uh, you know, pet, pet store side of stuff. So... You know, that's like a whole separate entity. We're we're in the hobbyist breeder section that actually cares about, you know, genetics and stuff like that. And before we start, like, you know, uh, you know, saying, you know, that, you know, there's certain breeders to watch out for, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the responsibility starts with the actual person that is breeding these animals in the first place. Not who yeah. you bought them yeah. off of, not like, you know, who they bought them off of. Like, it, 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 it has nothing to do with that. Your responsibility as a breeder is to, you know, almost question everything and then prove it out so that you know for sure. That should be your mindset. Like, it doesn't matter if I get an animal from John or Marsha or anybody. Like, I should be doing my due diligence to make sure that animal is what it is, no matter what. 
especially if I'm breeding on a large scale and if, or not a large scale, but like on a bigger, you know, hobbyist scale where my genetics, I mean, I'm, I'm charging optimal prices. They better be the exact genetics that I say that they are. If they're not, that's my fault. Like no matter who I got the, the breeders off of. And, you know, that's, that's where, you know, like the, the responsibility of whoever bred the animal comes in. You just can't, you know, blame it on, you know, the guy that, you know, you got the animals from. That's why it takes a long, long time to be very, very confident in your collection. I mean, you know, John has, John and I both, we, we both know this, that we've wasted years on females, like breeding them, just testing them. So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I know John had separated out females to make sure that they were not for certain things. And that is the, the sign of a great breeder is they're not just in a group setting where he's like, oh, if I pop out an albino, like, I, you know, the whole group's group. Like, he literally has every single one of the females that he's testing in their own bin. He knows exactly what the eggs are. Like, he knows everything. And that is how you need to test things out, is you literally have to separate out everything. And without that due diligence, like, you're never going to know. And that, that question is always going to be in, your back, in the back of your mind. Or if you're, you know, ethically trying to do this, is that, um, you know, it should always be there. Is, is my animal, you know, as, as clean as possible? And, you know, we, we throw around all these terms, dirty, tainted, like all this other stuff, I mean, it's it's all in how the animals that you sell, you want them to be. Like, it, you know, some people don't care. Like, it, it's one of those things that, you know, I've, I've heard from a very, very well-known breeder that was basically like, you know, if I, if I keep breeding bells together, eventually it'll just clean itself up. And it's like, that's not the proper stance to be taking. You know, whenever whenever you're just like, well, if I just keep it in that same line, like, it, it's all going to work itself out eventually. Well, what about the first couple generations? What, what if that, yeah. that uh, you know, 50% head breeds, you know, and makes an, is actually a head, and it makes another head, and it makes another head? And five generations down the road, you still got a head animal, but you never took the time to actually see if it, if it was head or not. So, I mean, that's, that's what you're you really got to look at is, you know, the time that a breeder has taken to, you know, make sure his lines are as, as pristine as possible. And, and it also has to do with the, the way people breed things as well. Because, I mean, I have certain projects that, like, nothing goes back into that project. They all get kind of bounced around back and forth. Like, I, I know that there's stuff in there, and that's why I call it, like, 50% head because I know that there's stuff in there, I just don't know which exact animals have it in there. So, but that, that you know, you kind of isolate them into certain projects, like like the dark project. Like, I know that there's tremper in there. I know that there's patternless in there. I know that the eclipse could be in some of the animals. Like, so you, you kind of have to, you know, you start broad, and then you start narrowing it back down to, to get it to where you're confident in, you know, maybe it's only just, you know, a, a dark animal that's patternless. It doesn't have the albino in it anymore. And that's where, like, looking back at generations of where you got these animals, like, actually comes from. Like, the, like the, I'm just going to use the, the Black Pearl Project as, you know, uh, you know, kind of a stepping stone for all this because that's, like, definitely, you know, the most screwed up project that I have. 
is, you know, one, we don't even know how the, the dark actually comes out. And then you mix it to another type of dark animal with, like, the charcoals, and then you really don't know what's making them dark. And then you throw in three other recessives, and you're like, wow, this is really a freaking mess to, to clean up. And, you know, I figured out that the original black girl female that I have, she's had for patternless. So that's where the patternless came into it. The original charcoal cross black pearl uh, male that was used was het for um, was het for uh, raptor basically, like because I've gotten eclipses out of that that section of it and albino. So so that's where it kind of all came together. Now I have to take that knowledge that you know where those animals came from and then kind of reverse engineer it back to you know single genetics or just having the dark animal itself. And that's that's what you have to do. Like you have to you have to you know, it's almost like how Ron said you got to go like super broad and then narrow it back down. And that's how a lot of projects have to work. You have to, you know, go wide with it and then narrow it back down to to get where where you need to go. Because it it's that same principle that if you breed a male to a bunch of females and then breed that male back to its daughters, you're definitely going to see any recessives pop out of that. And that's kind of what you have to do to see what recessives are in there. And then from that, you narrow it back down in. And, you know, it's it's, it's kind of a, um, it's definitely a science, but it's also an art at the same time where you have to, like, be thinking that much out of the box to do that kind of thing. And I know that John's one of those people that can definitely do that. Um, and you, you just have to um, be able to understand genetics very, very well and how animals, you know, express certain things and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I took up way too much time, so somebody else can jump in now. <laughs> no, well, hold on. Before before people think that, you know, I want to just say something about the Black Pearls, the D Project. I happen to think that's the, one of the coolest projects that we have. And I still think that, um, you know, being I, – I haven't had any trempers pop out in mine, and I got uh, some of my animals from you, Matt. So the first thing – I did prove out uh, that mine have the pattern list in it, which – I don't know. That's that really dark pattern looks is one of the coolest geckos that I have in my collection. That's that's how I just how I feel about it. Um, but as far as it being messed up, like when you say messed up, do you mean it like you know like it's like screwed up project, or do you mean like it just needs some work to figure out? You know what I mean? Um, it it's I, I think it's messed up how like you know originally everything was just kind of thrown into it to it, with without any real concern of what could happen. It's kind of like the whole thing with the Enigma whenever it first came out. I mean, you know, that like you were touching on the whole race for genetics and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody wants to throw so many different genetics into one animal so fast that they're not looking at the consequences further on down the line. Um, you know, it, it's always better to keep that base and then, like, add individual things to it or take them out, depending on what you want to do. But you want to keep that base as simple as possible. Because once you lose that base and have 15 different genetics in it, you're not getting it back. Like, it's just one of those things. It's gone. So you've got to be responsible enough to, to keep that base going. And, you know, with, with the Black Pearl Project, I mean, an albino. Like, really? Like, do you really need an albino into a dark animal? Like, that's just going to wipe everything that you, you know, tried to do. It's just going to wipe it all away. I mean, I've, I've hatched an albino black pearl, if you will, or charcoal or whatever it is, and it looked like mustard. It wasn't like anything cool. Like, it, 
you know, you kind of have to think outside the box of what the animal would look like if you put the genetics together. And, you know, trying to create mm-hmm. a dark animal, like, you're, you're putting albino in it. Why? Like, you're taking away all the dark. So it's, you know, simple things like that where, you know, the, the project could, be better, could have been better served to put other things into it. So it, it's not that it's, you know, it, it, it's a frustrating project because it's got more genetics in it than what I want. Like, I want the bait. I don't want, you know, 15 different things in it. And, and that's yeah. where, you know, from my standpoint, like, it, the project's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, John knows how hard it is just to take the tremper out of the marble eye. I mean, that, that's, you know, that, that's just two receptors. You throw a third one in there, and, I mean, it, it makes it even more impossible. Well, not impossible, but just it, it takes so much more time. You have to breed so many more animals. And then, and then in the process of breeding so many more animals, you're crashing your own market with the base to begin with. So it's like that double yeah. sword where you're, you're trying to clean it up, but you don't want to produce too many of them in the first place. So in that aspect, know. you know, you, you, you're killing yourself. Because, you know, if you mm-hmm. get that base, you definitely need to breed more. So it's one of those things where it's, um, you know, it, you just got to be smart about doing things from the beginning. Like, that, that's the biggest thing. Because, like I said, once stuff's put in there, it's, it's a lot harder to take it out than it is to put in. So, you know, you just have to have an understanding of that. Right. Well, I happen to think that isolating, you know, just me personally, I, I get where you're going, but I, I'd like to try to isolate uh, the black pearl pattern, which is got its own thing, because I just really like that. Um, I understand trying to get it out of, getting it out of there, too, so eventually there's just pure black pearl stuff. I get that part, too. And, of course, I'm sure all of us that are working on that will try to do that. But those black pearl patties are awesome. <laughs> I don't know. They're cool. They're really dark. Well, That's just my opinion. Look, can I interject just a second here, too? Go um, ahead, Marcia. You know, it, it's, it's indiscriminate breeding. And it's nobody in particular. It's indiscriminate breeding. Uh, the not not the record keeping, not the pragmatic approach to uh, you know combining you know genetic qualities with another genetic quality and and have a goal, you know um, you know usually uh, you know usually you know good breeders I, I shouldn't say good breeders that's a wrong thing to say but but um, the effectiveness of a breeder isn't just going to be indiscriminately throwing things together to see what they come up with. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a plan. You have to have something in mind or a goal that you're trying to achieve in order to, you know, for that to, to be able to pull that off. And then secondly, it is so much easier to add genes to, to a project because that's a known, that is a 100% known factor as a breeder, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, but trying to take apart something that's already been created is, that is really, really hard work. And that's where we get into the, into the trouble that we get into, is the result of indiscriminate breeding of people throwing things together without, without you know, uh, proper documentation and record-keeping and trying to unravel all of that. 
it is so much easier to start out with uh, known genetic traits and add traits to it um, to create something. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the frenzy, you know, of the, uh, a lot of the indiscriminate breeders out there that just get a bunch of geckos and just stir them all up and see what we come up with. And I think, I think a lot of people have, whether they're, I don't want to say they're guilty of it, but I, you know, I have done that. Have done that. You and want to hear something crazy? For years and years. Yeah, go ahead. Check this out. I was talking to a, a guy, and, you know, I didn't really think he was too this shady at first, but I was talking to somebody, and I was talking about how I, uh, how I test free, you know, almost all my projects these days because a few of them I'm almost certain about, and some of them, you know, I just want to make, you know, extra sure. And uh, he was telling me how, um, you know, he test breeds some of his stuff, and he says uh, if he ever finds anything that, isn't what it's supposed to be. We were talking about what, what do you do with the babies and what do you do with the, the test animals. And we could touch on that in a minute, guys. Um, and he was like, if I, if I, you know, if I'm breeding, if I'm testing bells or whatever, I just take uh, any of the test animal, animals and I put them into my tremper projects because nobody test breeds trempers. They just assume <laughs> that the trempers are all trempers <laughs> and there's nothing else in them. Or, yeah, you know or, what I mean? Or a head raptor or raptor, you know, especially when we're getting yeah. into eye genes. It's like, Possible head raptor. I see that more than anything else. Not and this is a guy who sells a lot of tread trimper, Not trimper. Yeah. Raptor. Possible yep. this guy head a lot of raptor. And I cringe when yeah, I see people buying geckos from him. <laughs> I just cringe. I, don't you know, think, like, oh I think God. people like that, Dave, are, are the disease of this community right now. As far as you know, right? what we're trying to do and yeah, it's it's horrible. Right. You know, a lot of people don't understand. Well, what can I say? Even my. What can you say? Well, you know, John. What can you say? I mean, you, you, know, you can't bring, you can't call them out because you know, then you look like a jerk. You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean it's one of those things. Sometimes with people like that, I don't really even care. You know, I mean I'm not going to go on public and publicly and call somebody out, but I don't I don't have a problem telling somebody that's starting up that I'm you know that's trying to get good quality animals to you know who I recommend. I recommend all types of breeders. You know, not just Matt and Marsh. I recommend other breeders too as far as getting good stuff and, and yourself, Dave, obviously. But, um, you know, I think I think a lot of people don't realize how, how much work has actually gone into, as, as Matt was saying, how, how much work goes into actually test breeding. I probably have, yeah. you know, my estimate right now is that one-third of my females are, are designated only for test breeding, you know, this last mm-hmm. year at least for sure. I'm trying to get that that's, number down, but that's going to come. That's, that's gonna a come lot with, of work. John, yeah, it's a ton that of work. is a lot yeah. of work. If one third of the population of your female geckos are, their sole purpose is to test breed, that is yeah. a lot of work. And I have a lot, I have a lot of, of a lot of my first females that are, you know I've I, the first females to start a lot of these projects, especially like my tenderings and stuff. I'm only holding them back, so I'm test breeding them every year right now. You know, I'm not. There's they're, they're no source of income for me at this point. You know, the the pet geckos that I sell is only pets. I don't make any money off that when it's all said John, and done. John, you still it's have true. to house, feed, clean yeah. all of these animals. That is a lot of work that is technically or, or, or you know, idealistically uh, unnecessary. Well, it the way be, I see it, it is that it's an investment in my, in my future. 
I, well, I think it's an investment in your animals. So. Yeah. All right, guys, listen, i got to do a sponsor plug, and we'll come right back. And sure. what do you say we open up the phone lines to questions, and we'll talk more about this, this topic? All right, everybody, we'll be right back. Okay. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types. From white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Razor Sharp Reptiles. Like the name suggests, Jamie Carnes has some sharp gecko and snake projects in the works. He is very well known for his work with rare species such as cave geckos, but also has some of the prettiest radar projects I've ever seen. Razor Sharp Reptiles is also known for high-end fat tails and beautiful rainwater leopard gecko morph projects. Check out RazorSharpReptiles.com online and on Facebook. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Okay, everybody, we are back. And uh, I'm going to open up the phone lines for everyone if you want to call in with your questions. The number is 646-478-5331. And tonight we're talking about genetics issues. Uh, we kind of left off about where, what do we do with all these And um, I'll let you guys talk about that now. Go right ahead. Jump in whoever wants to take it over. Um, well, <laughs> right I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people... <laughs> um, I think, you know, that... I don't believe in putting them down. Some people might think that you just put them down because they're genetically, you know, messed up. But, you know, they can still make great pets. They're, you know, they're just as healthy as any other gecko. So I sell them myself personally as pet geckos. I actually have a section on my website now where I, I put them as pets. Um, other people will wholesale them off, and some will sell them at shows as pets. But, you know, as long as you make that clear that they're going to be pet-only geckos up front, I mean, that's the key. 
you know, it's just as if somebody decides that they're going to go breed it, I mean, it's the same as them going to Petco and buying a gecko and trying to breed it, in my opinion, because you're just going to have a mix of mm-hmm. pets anyway. Mm-hmm. How about you, How about you Matt? Um, it, it, it's weird. I don't really produce a whole lot of test animals anymore just because of, um, you know, the weird ways of how I, you know, breed stuff that they, they kind of stay in a line type of thing. Um, but it, it's not line breeding like, you know, most people would think of it as like for color and stuff like that. They're like, like I said, they're, they're basically a lot of stuff that grouped into projects and those projects kind of stay, um, in a particular pattern so that if, um, anything's in there, um, you know, it, it will, it'll pop out. Um, but I mean, there are, you know, certain animals that I, you know, still have to test breed whenever I get new ones, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough that, um, you know, I have a a lot of, you know, friends in the community that um, that deal in wholesale leopard geckos. So it's one of those things where, you know, I, I can move them very, very quickly, very casually, you know, under the table type of thing where, you know, they they kind of go to other avenues where they're they're not going to be picked up and used as breeders, and you know that's that's definitely a you know a major thing um, is to be able to have that kind of um, that kind of outlet to them. Um, like like one of my outlets, for instance, is um, uh, Brian Barcheck, you know, from Snake Bites and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, he's basically wanting to produce, you know, wholesale leopard geckos. And, you know, if there's any test animals, like, you know, I might throw him a couple of those. You know what I mean? So they they end up going into producing normals. And the other good part about that is I actually have the opportunity to help him set up his breeding groups. So I kind of know what he has and how to set them up so that they only produce normals. And, you know, that that also kind of helps as well. Um, and then that just turns into your Petco Pet Smart Leopard Geckos um, because he has avenues where, you know, if he has an overflow of stuff, like he can actually sell them to, um, like, the Gourmet Road, for instance, and then, you know, those animals might end up at Petco. So you, you kind of have to channel avenues in ways so that they aren't in the hobbyist breeding population, basically. Okay. We have a caller on the line. Let's uh, take this call. Caller from the 502 area code. You're alive on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello. Hey, caller, who's this? Hey, uh, my name is Gene. How are you tonight? Hey, Gene, what's up? Yeah, I was uh, listening to the show tonight, and I was just kind of, uh, um, I'm kind of a hobbyist breeder, and uh, we had a couple questions as far as uh, what we're, our plans are for this year. Uh, we started, uh, we, we purchased a uh, male white and yellow, and uh, we were looking to uh, breed him with some of our uh, our snows that we have. And um, just kind of the white and yellow that we got, we weren't positive of, of the uh, heads, and we were trying to get, uh, you know, in touch with our uh, person that we got it from. And as far as white and yellow is uh, kind of new to, to our uh breeding, so just want to be sure of, of the white and yellows and their, what they're usually had for and their genetics. 
Okay. Um, well, John and Matt are both experts on white and yellow, so either one of you guys can touch on that, if you like. Well, I, I just think... Well, go ahead, Matt. I'll let you. I, I would definitely try to get in contact with the breeder. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. you know, his, his kind of responsibility to tell you what the possible hefts are for it. Um, I have seen white and yellows posted for sale from a large breeder in Canada that they do not uh, disclose what... Um, they're het for, and I can tell you personally that every single white and yellow that is on the market is het for something. And um, I was going to say that. That was what I suspected. Yeah. Um, yeah but, you, uh, even the even the ones in Europe, which I think that Canada breeder got them from, from what I take from, I know who you're talking about, but that I believe the ones in Europe are where he got them from, and I've heard from people in Europe that they're proving out trimpers out of them. So. Even well, those aren't pure. Uh, he, he's also got, um, you know, quite a selection of them from a U.S. breeder that is actually on the show right now as well. And I can tell okay. you for a fact that, you know, that's um, especially where, you know, some of the Bell uh, white and yellow stuff came from. Um, but once it left a, a certain facility in, you know, central Pennsylvania from a uh, breeder that is on the show right now, um, they, uh, the who knows what happened uh, as far as what they were bred to and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, every, every single white and yellow that's out there, I've I've yet to hear of an actual pure one where it is just a white and yellow. Um, the closest I've come is um, I've got one that's like had eclipse, but still, you know, it's had eclipse, um, uh, but it doesn't have the other three strains on it. Okay. Wow. So it sounds like Gene. Sounds like Gene. You're gonna have to take that male and uh, breed breed him to a trimper, a bell, and a rainwater. Well, I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of work going ahead of for him, and I mean, he needs to find the information about these geckos where he got them from. Right. That's num- number one thing, find out where he got the snows from as well, because those could have a, a slew mm-hmm. of heads in them as well. So you know, you gotta yeah, I'm, find find I'm out as much sure information as you can from the breeders. What's that, Gene? I was I was saying that I'm pretty sure of the uh, or I'm positive of the snow genetics and um, just the uh, the white and yellow. It was new to our collection, and uh, I really uh, when we purchased it, we uh, didn't you know ask of the heads, and um, like I said, it was kind of new to uh, to us and everything, and um, just wasn't sure of the background. So as as far as white and yellow, if you uh, if it were to have a strain of uh, an albino, would be the the scenario. If if any of our snows are not hep for albino, then it, it shouldn't be any kind of a problem, correct? As far as like test breeding it out to see what what it could be hep for. Well, it's it's tough because there could be a possibility of all three in there. More likely, you know, one or two of them. Um, but you know your snows could have a contradicting albino in them too. So you're breeding two Absolutely. heads. Right. You know, say right. you say your snow is het for bell and your white and yellow is het for trimper, and you'll never know. You know, it'll never pop out anything that's going to tell you that these are okay. these are going to be possible double heads. And so when you sell that to the next person and they go and test it out, or they try to breed it to you know something and they think it's pure, or, or, you know, it it just opens up a world of problems. And a lot of exactly. people don't understand why even we worry about all this stuff. 
And the main reason is because there are three albino strains. There's all these different recessives that are in geckos, and they're so mixed up. And say you're down the road and you're trying to breed something to create something new, and you find out the albino that you got is something different than what you're trying to, you know, what the, what was that was was told to you. Say you were told it was a bell albino, it ended up being a rainwater, and you tried to breed that to another bell, and you never got anything out of it, and now you got all mixed up. So it's you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's a big problem, but, you know, it can end up being a larger one. So oh, I mean, the main recommendation is just find out, you know, find out who you, well, you obviously know who you got it from, but, you know, yeah. find out all the information you can about that gecko and where they got the, the parents from at least and, you know, possible heads. Some breeders will tell you they don't think there's any heads in it or it's not, there's no heads in it, and that comes back to honesty and people telling you what's in there, and that's, that's the tough part about it. It's not easy. That's why, you know, leopard geckos are are easy to breed, but sometimes, you know, in another sense, not easy to breed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I just wanted to, to be sure before I, uh, you know, started out, you know, breeding yeah. and you know, ran into issues and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think the other thing that we need to uh, kind of touch on, too, is, um, you know, we're, we're kind of harping on the three strains of albino, but we've got to be careful about the lines of snow as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. That, so glad you brought actually, that up, Matt. That's actually becoming a very, very huge problem. Thanks, Gene. Um, okay, so, great. Thank you. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I mean, that's that's definitely a huge problem. And you know what makes the problem even worse is, um, you know, a, a breeder in Canada is actually slapping a name for a tug snow <laughs> cross to a max snow. And, you know... Oh, I heard about lot, that. That's, that's a lot not of us cool. Are, you know, a lot of us are going to see that and be like, oh, my gosh, a new a new mutation, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there's going to be, you know, the few of us that are going to be like, wow, that that's just pretty awful right there because, you know, not only, um, you know, did you... Are you posting that you crossed, you know, the, the, the two different snows, but now how can we trust your own line of snow to be as pure mm-hmm. as, you know, everybody, or as it should be. And that, that's, that's a, also a big problem is, you know, what if, um, you know, because you know, the ones that, you know, that are up for sale are supers. So with, with the super, it, it definitely has Mac in it. There's no question about it, blah, blah, blah. Now, all the snows that, you know, are on the page, are they tug or are they Mac? I mean that's that's going to be your next question, and you know if they're if they're labeled as one, you know is there a possibility of the other one being in there? And you well, know, Matt, it, it, Matt and that's um, big... I'm sorry, I, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I, I, getting ahead of myself, yourself, I, myself, I should say. I mean, how many times have we heard over the last years that people have crossed a, a you know, somebody's line of line bread snow with the max snow okay and produced a super out of it mm-hmm. how many i've heard i mean i that's never happened to me but i've heard it so many times from so many you know people that it's like well wait a minute here you know so What's the difference in say and, and again, if I'm drawing, if I'm calling names here, it's not because I'm singling any, anybody out, but 
I mean, Aldi has his line of snows. I mean, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, um, you know, I draw, draw a, a complete blank here. I mean, you know, several, oh, uh, Craig's line of snows. Uh, there's the gem snow. There are several lines of snow out there besides the Max snow. Well, and, and, yeah, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. There, there's there's supposedly four lines out there. And, okay, you know, all right. I, I, so I, I have actually at least my brain didn't go away too no, far no, no, with no. that. No, and and I'll and I'll touch on like the the snow stuff here because I think people okay, need to dude, know about I think this it's well. important. Yeah, because we're talking about uh, tainted jeans and and you know purity of jeans. This falls right in there too. You're right. It it isn't just it isn't just uh, narrowed down to the three final strength. I mean, my, my my quest for the, you know, looking into the snows um, started because, uh, you know, Alberto had a project that he wanted to create, like, snow raptors that had a lot of color. But the only problem was we were using the Max, so whenever you would breathe the Max to Max, you would get supers, and then it would have no color at all, so it was kind of pointless. <laughs> so, um, you know, this kind of goes back to that foresight type thing that we were talking about. So right. I had the bright idea that, well, there's, you know, two dominant snows out there. That's the type of snow we should use or use Albie's line bread snows to do it. So I became, you know, obsessed with having every single different genetic that there was in, you know, the, the captive freaking world. And, and I wanted to have every single type of snow as well. Well, you know, once you get these, animals, then you have to test breed them and see if they truly are what they are. You know, I have a couple of line bred snows from Albie. Um, they, I bred them this year. I hatched out probably about six babies out of the pair. There was no supers, okay? Those six babies are then going to go back into being bred in, you know, how I said I do like a line breeding type style thing, but it's actually like father to daughter, mother to son, stuff like that to kind of you know, make sure that everything is what it is. Um, I do have a tug snow male that I got um, before he started getting um, all these mutations and stuff like that. Back whenever he was working with five mutations, and that was it. Um, the male was already an adult male whenever I got him, and I was confident at that point that he was a tug snow. But as I did the video on, you know, how I proved out my tug snow um, goes to show Basically, you got to breed him to basically subspecies or something that's not a snow, breed him back to his daughters to see if they produce supers. If they don't produce supers, then it is like the actual dominant snow that it's supposed to be that doesn't produce supers. So far, that line of animals from that male, which I still have the original male, has not produced a super out of about 150 to 200 babies. So I'm pretty confident in that one. The... The gemstone stuff that I have, and this is where it gets a little crazy as well, is, you know, I have an original gemstone male, and unfortunately, the first time that I tried to breed him, his, both of his hemipenes prolapsed, and they came out. So that put him on the shelf last year, and I couldn't use him. So I have another male that is actually his son that I've bred to bold stripes. Um, because he's actually a bold stripe gem snow, technically. Um, you know, next or this coming year, he will be bred back to his daughters to see if a super pops out. There was another line of gem snow that I had that was also had tremper in it. That actually, when the and it was a female, I 
bred it to a non-snow and then bred one of his her sons back to her, I did produce a super. And it was very, very weird. But yeah. the unfortunate thing is now, is that a max snow or do gem snows have supers? <sighs> That's that's hmm. where like I have to breed these other lines of gem snow that I you know just acquired in the last year to two years to see if they produce a super or not. So that's where all of these different breedings and stuff like that. I mean, I literally have five different lines, standalone lines of gem snow that came from different people, and you know that's where you kind of have to look into the history, see what happened. In looking into the history, the first gem snows from gem or reptiles by gem he actually did cross them into max nose to, to test it so right. the question is where did those animals go to and are they into the population that we have today so the biggest thing with gem snows or you know supposed gem gem snows that i recommend to everybody is actually breed two gems together and see if you get a super if you get a super there mm-hmm. might be something wrong um, you know, same right. thing with the pug, the, with the pug snow. It's supposed to be a dominant snow, so if you produce a super out of it, something went wrong. And, you know, and I can tell you for a fact that there definitely is a co-dominant snow, and there definitely is a dominant snow, and they are two different things. But the unfortunate mm-hmm. thing is once you cross that dominant snow into a co-dominant snow, you can produce supers, and after that point, you might as well just consider them co-dom snows. The line yeah. right yeah. goes yeah. from what from what Albie has said, is that he did produce a super from breeding his line-bred snows to a max snow. So that could definitely complicate things even more. So it could be more of a dominant-type snow, like the tug snow, where if you breed two Albie line-bred snows together, which he's done, and he has not produced supers. So I would think that's more of a dominant-type snow. The, the other thing to throw another wrinkle into this, and John can definitely attest to this, is the line of Montanus that I have, the babies hatch out looking snow. And it does crazy things to, like, say, tangerine animals, where it almost makes them snow looking. So it almost could be like a fifth line-ish um, type of line-bred snow as well. So that's going to complicate things even more. That's why I don't even really tell anybody about that, because, you know, that would just make people's heads explode. Oh, my gosh, there's five different lines of snow? You've got to be kidding me. Um, so... <laughs> That's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, that is my, you know, latest quest is to figure out all the snow genetics, how they work, how they interact with each other. And I'm still in the test process of that because it takes, you know, uh, two years, three years to be sure on every single line that I have. And whenever I have, you know, four or five lines of each, or, you know, four or five lines of the gem and then I have the Albi line, red snow stuff, blah, 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 it, it definitely takes to do. Okay, we well, have a caller then, on the line. Oh, okay. Let's talk to somebody else. Okay, hold on. Caller from the 401 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. It's uh, Chrissy from Loki Reptiles. Hey, Chrissy. Hey, Chrissy. Thanks for calling in. How are, how are you guys doing tonight? Very well. Good. Um, What's your question? Been, uh, yeah, we're, you know, we're kind of in, uh, in the chat here and we're all kind of, there's a lot of us um, small breeders who, you know, have 50 to 100 animals, and test breeding is, is, you know, it's difficult when you have such few animals to really dedicate to doing nothing but test breeding. 
So I think our questions that we're coming up with is, what is the appropriate number of generations that you should test breed your animals to know 100% that you don't have hats or you know what's in there genetically? Well, you know, Chrissy, I don't know that it's, it, it's, it doesn't have to be just a set number of generations. I think it's a set, uh, more of a set number of pairings. Okay. Of oh, babies, mm-hmm. of hatchlings. Of oh, babies, right, right. Because any time you look at, if you look at any of these 50%, 66%, 33%, you know, when we look at these percentages, or, or what, what that, all that means is that's a possibility based on, you know, statistic analysis. Right. And those are right. all and based out of 100. So right. it's going to be difficult. You're absolutely right, because if you don't have animals that are going to produce 100, you know, that's 50 clutches, uh, you know, to prove things statistically, it, it makes it tough. You're absolutely right, and that's right. a great question. Right. Well, so it's my, like you want to be you want to be responsible and you want to you know you want to do the right thing by the animals and by by the hobby and you know do your due diligence and test breed your your animals but it makes it hard when you're only when you only have a, a small number of animals to do that with and a limited number of space as well you know most of mm-hmm. us are doing this out of our homes. Well, I recommend you know if you're working with a small group of animals. You know, work with a small project, you know, maybe do something that's line bred and don't try to get a, a morph of every or, or every morph out there, you know, a mixed slew of, you know, geckos that you have to test breed everything that you need a large collection to test breed. You know, if, you just, if you're working with, you know, say just a small group of white and yellows or you're working with tangerines, for instance, for, in a small group, you can keep, you know, a few test breed animals such as, you know, like a raptor or a typhoon and you know, maybe uh, a radar or a bell or whatever, and you can use just a few geckos to test breed. It's all about, you know, I was saying that probably 30% of my females are for test breeding, but I have many, many different projects. If you can limit your projects down to, you know, just say one or two or three projects as being a smaller breeder, you can still do the test breeding on the same scale. Um, It's just when you get so many different animals and you get them from different people, you know, and, this goes back to what Matt said. He's he's been working with these and test breeding for a long time, so he doesn't need as many test breeders. But I've I've acquired a lot of new animals from a lot of different people. But you know, for me, I need all these animals to test breed, and um, it's just because I have a lot of genetics in my my collection. And I think it, you know, even as a small breeder, it's just better to work with one one thing specialized. I think a lot of people try to jump into everything, you know, starting off and you kind of get yourself overwhelmed. And then if you try to add test breeding on top of that, it even gets tougher. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I'd, like to, well, well, I'd like to jump in on the snow thing. Um, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, thanks, thanks for calling in. Does that help your question? Thank you, guys. I think, that was, I think it was just uh, really, it was really good to kind of touch, touch point on that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Matt, you, well, last season you asked me if I could uh, test breed uh, my gem snow line. And I, I took my male gem snow lavender bell head radar and I bred him to my female gem snow that Paul sold to me as a pure gem snow. And it's a female. She's got a regrown tail. She doesn't look like anything special. But I bred them together and I didn't produce any supers. 
and I produced Diamondback out of that pairing. So, if and, and the year before that, I bred her to a Tremper, uh, and I didn't produce any Trempers from her. And so far, she hasn't produced any Bells and any Trempers. So, you know, obviously this season I'm going to try with the rainwater and see what happens. But um, I think there is some pure gem snow lines out there. And uh, I think you just, maybe you just, people just have to get lucky and get the right one, perhaps. I don't know. But what do you think? Do you, do you think I should try bringing her to a rainwater this year, or should I do the gem snow to gem snow pairing again just to be sure? Um, I mean, that's, that's totally up to you. I mean, you could also take babies from her from previous years um, to breed, mm-hmm. you know, back to the, the, the gem bell um, if you really wanted to. Um, and and mm-hmm. that, that's what I mean by doing my little line bread, you know, thing. What I, what I would have done is actually, you know, you did the, 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 the lav um, bell gem cross to the, the gem female I would have kept back all those female babies, brought them back to the dad again to make sure that a super didn't pop did. out. And, and, then, okay. and then what you're going to do is basically then the, the original female, you're, you're actually going to use her towards the rainwater this year. So, so you're actually killing two birds in the same season by, by doing it that way. So it, it's not that you're breeding the same male back to the same female. You're actually breeding him to his daughters. Um, and from that, you can definitely tell. I mean that that's that's the easier way to do it. Um, well, that's the shortcut way, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's, okay. uh, you know, it's it's all about like planning and and all that stuff. I mean, you got to know about doing that before you even breed the pair together. And, and that's right. that's what I'm what I'm saying as far as like how I how I how I line breed stuff, but it's not really line breeding. It's it's like kind of breeding it back. It's like back to its like back to its parent. And you know, with mm-hmm. with doing that, you can definitely see if there's any recessives like very very quickly. Um, and or or if it's uh, you know like we're saying with snows, if there's a super blah blah blah. And you know that was the other thing that I did was, I mean there there's probably um, a good. Uh, I would say 20 or 30 females that I held back from that. Um, the, the, the male's name is Onyx, and I, and I call it the Onyx Project because, you know, that, that's how I'm testing out that line of gem snow. Um, and they're, they're also bold stripes, and, you know, they're, they're, they're different looking, and I thought that they would be cool no matter what. Um, so it was one of those things where, you know, you just, you just have to know which animals to hold back and how many of them and, you know, what you have to incubate them for and all that fun stuff to make sure that you get what you need for the next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. We have more callers. Let's, uh, let's grab them. And, guys, we're going to totally go over the two-hour mark. Um, if you guys want to listen to us live, you can call into the call-in number and listen live, and you'll hear us. So the number is 646-478-5331. But at the two-hour mark, the, the uh, online show will end. And, you won't hear it anymore off the computer. But like I said, you can call in and still listen to us. All right. I'm going to take um, Heather's here. Heather, I'm going to take your call. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Heather, you there? Hello, Heather. Are you there? All right. Going to the next caller. We don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Number uh, area code, a caller from area code uh, 570, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. 
Good evening, everyone. It's Amanda. Hey, Mandy. How are you? Hello. 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 I'm honored to be speaking to all you wonderful people. <laughs> We're honored. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, my question. Um, I guess it could help with genetics and keeping everything in line. How do you guys do? I know I asked in the chat and. Matt said that I needed to get a photographic memory. <laughs> but um, as far as actually keeping the records, like, do you guys have any tips or, like, because I've seen some breeders, they'll be like, oh, well, this, they'll have different numbers and stuff like that as their, like, this gecko's A, B, 1, 5, 6, 7. How do you guys have any, like, do you give the adult parents, like, their this one's A, this one's B. A, B made together clutch one and two and three. Like, how does all that work? Because I'm, like, totally ADD spacing on how to even come up with something like all that. Of the, all of these secret codes that we breeders have, right? <laughs> yes, well, please I, help I me. Think that, I think that each of us have our own um, little method of keeping track of our animals. Um, as they're born, for me personally, the 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 first letter of their of their uh, ID number is is an F or an M, okay, and okay. that either means female or male. Now the <laughs> next numbers would be anywhere from 01 to 14, and those are the number of breeding uh, groups that I have, um, and mm-hmm. so that would signify the male. That would tell me who the male was, okay? okay, and then the rest of the number is their hatch date, and then there's clutchmate A or B. But I do write on my cards for individual tub who their mama was. So in other words, I know that any animal that came from group 7 is my super hypotangerine carrot tail group. But it okay. doesn't tell me who the mother was because I do house my animals individually and not in groups. But right. I do keep track on a homemade Excel spreadsheet. Uh, you know, I know right. every every male and all the females that are designated for him, and that would be the group number. And then okay. each of those females, how many clutches they laid, what day they laid, what day the clutch was due, what, which day the clutch hatched, which would become the offspring's ID numbers at that point. And right. so at any time, I could go back to any of those records and say, let's say that I sold you um, a super hypotangerine carrot tail who had mm-hmm. a, a number, who had an ID number of M07. 050612-B. Okay, <laughs> that would come back and tell me that, first of all, the gender would be the first letter. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the 07 would be, that's my, that uh, that would tell me which male it was. Right. The, the rest of it would be uh, their hatch date and it, whether it was clutch A or, or, or clutch uh, mate A or B. But I do mm-hmm. have records, and I could look back and say, oh, okay, 
it was male number seven who is, you know, this is his name. My, I, I name my geckos. I, you know, I do my too. breeders have names, okay? And yeah. all right, I, I'm sorry. You guys can laugh at me. And the, and even the babies, if I name them, they don't go anywhere. They wind up staying with mm-hmm. me. But if they have a name, okay. But the thing is that I could go back over years based right. on the animal's hatch date. And okay. and group group number and tell you exactly who the father was, who the mother was, and not only that, but it's obviously it's hatch date and whoever came out first is A and whoever comes out second is B. Okay, right. but that's but that's my own system and I think everybody kind of has a system uh, that works for them in identifying the you know their animals. Uh, and right. it doesn't mean, yeah. And so that's how I do it. But that also enables me to where not only do I keep meticulous records of each and every breeder I have and when they copulated, when they were put together, when did right. they lay their first clutch, when did that clutch go in the incubator based on the temperature of incubation, when is the due date, and it's usually between plus or minus three days when did it actually hatch to the point where I have a baby that goes in with a number on it. Uh, right. And I can go back, I can go back ten years. Wow. And tell you, <laughs> right. you know, the, the parental lineage of your gecko. People used to think I was just this magnificent person because they could, call, you know, send me an email and tell me, oh, I got this gecko on from you at such and such and, such. and of course i'm like like a mad person going through the, you know the records and, stuff, and i'm going back and going oh yeah this is a a, a luther and libby combination you know da, 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 da. and they're just going yeah i can't i can't believe you have such a great memory and i'm like are you kidding me I can't remember if I checked the mail or just thought about checking the mail. <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact of having a really good, you know, identification right. um, system, uh, I'd be scratching my head going, oh, that's nice. I think it's up to each individual how you want to do that. And then I also think it's important on top of that that, if you buy or acquire animals from somebody else, ask, ask them what they're, um, oh, my gosh. Listen, the coyotes are just going off like crazy out here. Okay, <laughs> anyway, um, but, but ask them how they, right. uh, you know, how they come up with these ID numbers. Okay. Well, I, I think for, I for me... Um, okay. I just yeah. want to add because I think I have a totally different system than Marsha. You know, for me, I, I have a problem putting <laughs> records into a computer and, you know, having it all on a spreadsheet. And for me, that just doesn't work. And it's not saying my way is better or his her way is better. It's just, you know, you kind of kind of come up with what works best for you. Exactly. But for me, I use, pic- I use pictures a lot. You know, pictures are a key to my collection. And I... I make a pretty detailed name card on the front. I put who the breeder was, if I bought it from somebody else. Or if I, I produce it, I have, you know, the ID number, and then I also have the ID of the parents, and then I also put the ID of the grandparents. So whenever I go to update a website or sell a gecko or whatever I do, anytime I take a picture of any gecko in my collection, I take a picture of the front of the tub first. 
and it, mm-hmm. basically when it, it goes and it saves into my computer, I always have that ID card, ID number or ID card saved before my picture set of that gecko. So mm-hmm. when somebody comes back, you know, a year later and wants to know about, you know, whatever the ID number is, um, I can go back through my pictures and just look at it and see the ID card, and I can actually, you know, if it's a female, it's bred. I can see actually how many eggs she laid and everything else. So it's all right there when I come back. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just keeping, you know, the, the the parents on there too, very detailed, and just I write. I have very simple IDs on my, my geckos. Like I literally go like M1, M2, M3 for males and like F1, F2, F3 for females. And every year um, that I produce, I put a different, you know, letter in front of it. So right. for me, it's just I try to keep that really simple and then let the pictures that I take, you know, keep my records for me. Because it's just well, you're, for me doing You the, must be the, a lot better about taking pictures than I am, John. I hate taking <laughs> pictures. So I, I cheer you. I, I, I lift my glass to you for taking pictures. <laughs> yeah, well, you, when you, ever, you know, you do the website, too. Whenever you do an update, you take a picture of the gecko. So I literally take a picture of the front of the tub. Then I take a picture of it on the scale. So I actually put the whole tub on the scale and, and tear it at, with the tub and the gecko on the scale, and then I pull the gecko off, and it, it'll show the weight negative is what the gecko is, how much it weighs. I'll take a picture of the weight, and then I'll take a picture of the gecko, and that's how how I'll actually uh, um, update the website that way. And that whole picture set after that ID card is that gecko, and I always have that on record after that point. So just kind of a try to streamline things make it easier on myself and that's that's kind of a key too just try not to make it too hard on yourself exactly exactly right like 50 geckos it's easy but once you start 300 400 and you know and up it starts getting you know sometimes you get confused and i mean matt matt in a way i've seen his videos and how he he can do his ids and stuff i mean he has a better memory than me for sure there's just no way i can do what he does you know he has even putting eggs on the table, like, I literally have to put every set of eggs away right away because I, I don't have the memory. Even though I'm marking them mm. on the tubs, or, you know, if I yeah. forget to mark one or, you know, I try to do it, like, his way a couple times, and then I just I get confused right away. So I stop doing that, and I just put them away right away. So for him, right. he can memorize this stuff, and he's, he's, you know, been able to do that, and that works for him. It just doesn't work for me. I could never do that, you know. So it's just... Yeah. <laughs> You got to tailor it to yourself. Yeah, and then uh, I'll I'll, I'll go with mine because, you know, mine's definitely evolved over the years as well. Um, You know, what what I would recommend is, is, you know, make it as simple as possible, but, you know, knowing as much as possible. Um, You know, it's, you know, definitely Marcia and John actually probably have more visual evidence of everything than I do. Um, because, like John said, a lot of mine is by memory. And right. it's one of those things that, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I don't write down because in ways like like it's just kind of irrelevant to me in a way. Um, right. But the, the the first year that I was, I was breeding on a bigger scale, um, I did a really, really simple method of basically I had – um, let, let's say I had like a hundred animals and I had like, you know, 10, 15 males. Um, mm-hmm. and what I did was I literally had a different colored Sharpie for every single male that was used. And what mm-hmm. I would do is every tub had a number, you know, it was one, two, three, four. 
And depending mm-hmm. on the, the, the male that was used in that tub, that's whatever color it was. So whenever okay. I was marking eggs, it was, let's say, light blue was the male from one to four. So, you know, every number between one and four would have a light blue mark. So basically, mm-hmm. I would literally only have to write a number, and it was in a certain color, so that would actually signify the parents and that's all I would have to put on the actual baby tub itself as well, was, you know, basically a different colored number. And I would be able to tell right. you exactly, you know, who they were. And, you know, that then it kind of evolved into, um, you know, little little codes for everything. And, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what I use today. Um, I definitely, um, I, I don't really do like hash dates because, uh, to me, it, it's it's not as important of when the animal hatched. Um, a lot of right. people like will ask me for hatch dates and stuff like that. I'll give you a rough estimate, but it, it's not going to be a specific day. And you know, mm-hmm. this is because yeah. you know there, there's definitely a lot of babies being hatched out. They'll be hatched different days, stuff like that. And I, I think in the new facility, I'm actually going to start um, you know actually keeping hatch dates um, so that people can have the birthday and stuff like that because that you know. To, to certain people, it's yeah. very, very special to them. So, you know, I'm going to start doing that in the new facility. There's a lot of bad habits I'm trying to break as I'm as I'm going into the new place. Um, but the the other thing that I do is like, you know, whenever I pull eggs, and you probably have seen this in the video. Like, I use four different colored markers, and basically every round through the the gecko room, I use a different color. So I can mm-hmm. literally tell you, you know, within that pretty much a week time frame of when those eggs were laid just because of whatever mark was on the tub. And, you know, they get one mark per, um, per fertile egg. If it's a bad egg or a dud or if it got dried out somehow, then I put a different mark on it so that it actually signifies. Um, so I can look at a small section on my tub section. I can tell how many eggs were laid out of, you know, that group or that female. Um, I also mm-hmm. put what male was used on the tub um, per year. So that let's say um, like like a G project tub for instance, um, what I usually do is you know I will breed like let's say albino to the tub one year, like an albino male one year, and eclipse male the other year, and then that way I can actually tell by what the babies are that hatch out of that tub is you know is the is those animals in the tub is their head eclipse in there or is their head trunk right there? So a lot of times. Um, you know, like my G project, for instance, it's like G1, G2, G3, G4, um, and so on. I can actually go, like, just write on, you know, my eggs, you know, G1 or whatever the number is, and I can actually go back and tell what the male is because that's the only male that was bred to that tub that, that year. And then I can also look and see, well, the male's an eclipse, so every single baby is at least had eclipse, and, you know, this, this tub has been proven had for tremper. So, you know, it's also a possible head for tremper in there as well. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, and like I said, how I do this, like, weird line breeding, you know, back and forth type thing, um, just because of that, you know, whenever you clean a 1,000 animals every week, you know, all your life, you know these animals. And yeah. you can definitely, um, it, even on a small scale, you can start to know their grandparents and their great grandparents and stuff like that. There, there was one point right. whenever I had, whenever I had five generations that I could actually show you of of a certain line of of, of breeding, you know, project. 
And, you know, people would be like, holy crap, you have, like, the great, 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 great grandparents of this project. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't, you know, normally sell, like, the, you know, the adults. And, you know, it's one of those things where you can kind of go back and, you know, show people. And then, you know, I I, I definitely named some of my animals, not all of them, but they're they're not, like, names (laughs) like, you know, like, John or Marsha. It's it's (laughs) names, like, that, you know, they, they remind me of something. And that's what I use. So it's, it's, you know, really, you know, weird. And I just saw a comment that, like, I talk really fast. And that's, that's literally how my brain works is, is that, like, that quickly. It's one of those things where a lot of it's by memory just because, you know, you work with these animals every single day. You, you get to know, right. them, you know their genetics. Like, you know, you know, what you bred them last year, you can, you know, remember all that stuff. But, like, it, it, it's in, you know, this <laughs> This is one of those things, like, uh, I made a comment on on my Facebook page the other day where, you know, I said I was a gecko savant. And, and, and that's actually, like, a joke, but in a way it's kind of, like, true, um, where, you know, uh, you know, somebody, you know, actually said that you probably have a savantism. And I was like, what? I was like, you've got to be crazy. Um, but, you know, the more I thought about it, the more, you know, it, it just comes, like, very, very quickly and very, very naturally to me. Um, you know, what I do, and that's probably, you know, in, and it's weird because I lack in, you know, definitely other aspects of my life, and to have, like, a certain aspect so strong that, you know, it, in a way it was learned, but in a way it wasn't. It was, it, it's, it's and, and it's like I tell people, it's like mathematics, like, you know, some people are very, very good naturally, and some people just aren't, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I, if you see me typing online, like, I can't spell to save my life, like, you know, yeah. I, I, I definitely cannot spell. But, you know, for some weird reason, this super, super naturally to me. So that's why, like, I don't write a lot of stuff down. And it's, and it's also, like, it's, also, like, it's really weird, but it's also out of, like, my own protection that if, like, any of these animals ever got, you know, taken from me or anything like that, nobody would yeah. have any clue, any clue what they were. Because a lot of my right. comments are marked in, you know, where people could even understand it. So, um, but that's... That's just yeah. how I do things. Uh, I would actually recommend going with John and Marshall's way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's great to hear all the different. Uh, <laughs> oh no, mean gecko lady. Um, no, it's no, that's nice what, that's to hear. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, definitely nice. I I really appreciate everybody's input on that. I definitely. I've just now started Listen, acquiring. If you're, if you're interested in my uh, Excel spreadsheet example, of course you could take your own spin on that. Send me an email. Okay, and I'll, definitely. And I'll send you a page of it. You know. Yeah, um, that would be great. I I'm ADD I'm not like that. that. You have to do it that way. I'm just you know. Uh, right. No, it, it definitely it's just the would way be I nice do it. To see it. Just, yeah. Seriously, if you're interested, send me an email, and I'll attach a, an Excel page in my response, so you can kind of look Wonderful. it over and see how it's done. I might, I might even enlist my husband. He's so much more computer literate. I'm just like, can you do this? Fix this. This thing popped up on the screen. I don't know what it's saying. <laughs> but, well, you got to um, understand that back when I started, there we didn't have the internet or the computers, and we used like three-by-five cards. Yeah, right. You know, with each box, that we, we 
we had a three by five card. Right. And um, it was just a, you know, it was just a, let's keep track. I mean, right? That's young. He's got a great memory. Um, I'm <laughs> old. And I don't have a very good memory. So I have to write things down. <laughs> and and then, then I have to hope I remember where I wrote them. <laughs> so, I, I'm good visually. If I can see it, I, I can usually memorize. Like I can tell you how, where each individual gecko in the entire rack is. So mm-hmm. I think I'd be able to, if I see something, I'm usually at better learning that way. So that would definitely be great. If you could, I'll, I'll send you an email. And I, I would love to see Sure, send me an email, and, and I'll be right. happy to attach you know, the page. And just for you, you know, you don't have to do it today, but it would give you an idea. Right, somewhere to learn you know, and then adapt it as I go. I don't right. know any two breeders that do it the same. Well, <laughs> we shall I see. I don't. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. All right, Mandy, thanks for calling in. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having call. me, Dave. Thanks, everybody. All right. All right. Thank you. Cool. All right, guys, we are in the two, We are past the two-hour mark. Um, we can keep going if you want. I think the show will record for at least another hour, so it's up to you guys how long you want to stay on. Um, it, it, there's probably a lot more that we could talk about with this topic, so... Um, I'm gonna, well, gonna leave it up to you guys on what you want. Is to this say. gonna be is this gonna be downloadable for people later? As far as this section? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can keep going. For me, that's fine. Okay. I, I have no plans, right. so let's go. Cool. Okay. What about you, Marcia? No, that's fine. Okay. I just don't want to continue if it wasn't something that people could do. Yeah, I was just seeing if there are still callers on the line. Okay. There's there's 30 of them? Let's let's hit them all. Yeah. Yeah, I think the caller is the Yeah, people are dropping off little by little, I guess, to watch The Walking Dead, but there's still a few in here, so let's grab them. Caller from the 330 area code, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi, who's this? This is Brooke. Hey Brooke, how's hey, Brooke, it going? Are you, are you, is this the Brooke that made me my awesome logo? It is. Oh, <laughs> uh, awesome. Do you have a question for us tonight? Uh, no, I actually didn't. I'm just listening. Okay, no problem. I'll go to the oh, next we'll, we'll, make, we'll make something up, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been trying for the past half hour to make something up, and I just can't come <laughs> up with anything. <laughs> well, I'm still going to put you in the contest for the gecko, so. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> no problem. All right, I'll, I'll take the next person, Brooke. Thanks for making me that awesome logo. You're welcome. Bye, guys. All right, bye. All right. I bet everybody's going to be listening to the show, Dave. What's that? All the people you're going to – I think all the people you're putting on, Dave, are going to be listening to the show probably. I know. No, no, they, I they, know have, they, so. have to, they have to hit one to talk to the to the host. Oh, so okay. If they if they, if they just uh, like stayed on the line, they can just listen without without being I don't know on if the that's call. True. Well, I think you know what I think, though, Matt. I think people are hitting one, um, and you know, not realizing what it means. So well, well let's, let's, te- let's test them all. Let's test them all. I'll, but, I'll ask them. But questions. can they still hear the show, Dave? <laughs> if they hit one, or they, can they still hear the show? 
Yeah, they can still hear it. Let's take the next one. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Core from the 504 area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. 504? Yes. Who's this? This is Evan from EM Geckos on YouTube. I was hey, Evan. Hi, Evan. How's it going? I was cool. Do you have a question for us tonight? Okay. Um, <laughs> No. Okay. You, you don't have a question okay. for us. Well, how about we ask you a question? Okay. All right. How, how many leopard geckos do you have? Twelve. Twelve. Nice, nice. What all do you have? I have some het radars um, that I got from Gecko Boa, from John. Oh, from and, John. Oh, nice. And some giant, a giant sun glow. From John. Right. And a red stripe sun glow bell from John. Wow, <laughs> all from John. Well, wow, John, <laughs> this sounds Good like choice. a fan club president here. <laughs> yeah, really. Here. Yeah, really, <laughs> definitely. So, so you, if you have any issues, you know, you know where to go to, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got them all from that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, John got them all from me. <laughs> no, no, that's... That, that, that's great, Evan, and, uh, you know, definitely good that you're in the hobby, and, you know, John's definitely a great breeder, and if uh, you ever have any questions about anything, um, you know, he's he's definitely a great guy to listen to. Yes. All right. Cool. You can Thanks, keep Evan. Listening. Um, yeah, you can hang on and keep listening, Evan. Um, all right, I have a question for you guys. Okay. The future of leopard geckos, the future of this, this hobby for people – uh, that are concerned about their genetics, they're concerned about their lines. Now, do we want people to be paranoid after hearing this episode? Do we want them to be like, oh, my God, are all my geckos screwed up? Because that's not the message that I want to try to uh, put out there. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question correctly. Suppose, suppose somebody has a beautiful line of bell albinos and someone floating around in there is one of them is possibly head for one of them is head for tremper, okay? How is that going to affect their project, like visually, and like is it going to change the way the gecko looks? Is it going to show up and you know cause a cause a drastic problem in their project, for instance? Uh, visually, I think it you know vi- visually it won't hurt anything, um, but you know genetically it definitely does. Um, yeah. And it's it's one of those things that if somebody finds out about it, like it, it could cause a, a ruckus, I guess. <laughs> a ruckus. Do you think the ruckus yeah. is 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 a bit, um, let's say, a uh, little? I don't know. You think it's a little unnecessary? Like, is is this a? Are people making it out to be a bigger problem than it is? And I'm not trying to play devil's advocate or anything. I'm just putting it out there, like. Is this like? I mean, a lot of us are purists and we're perfectionists with this, and I get it. But for the average breeder, should they be really worried about something like this? Can I answer that one? Sure. Go ahead, Marcia. Guess number one, yes, it can real mess up serious projects. Mm -hmm. It can. It can. It has. It does, and it will. But I also want to say, now maybe I'm 
not as reactionary as some. But since this has been going on in my lifetime as a leopard gecko breeder, uh, sometimes when we would test breed or even just breed our animals and we got something other than what we thought, as long as we could identify it, we looked at it as A+. plus. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at it as a bonus. Whoa, I got something else here that I can work with. Okay, and mm-hmm. so I kind of tend to lean towards really don't think that it as it, that it's a catastrophe or thing that we need to, you know, like set up shelters over or anything like that. But the problem has com- exponentially compounded itself over the years with the number of geckos out there and the number of people working with them. I believe that it is salvageable if we can get people on board who are breeding, whether it's I have five geckos or I have 5,000 geckos, um, to you know, pay attention and to be more uh, alert and aware of what we're doing as far as putting gecko A to gecko B and especially disclosing it. I'm not sure how I feel about, you know, breeding uh, unrelated recessive traits to each other. I mean, after all, how... How else could we figure out that we had three different, completely separate genetic uh, genetic uh, uh, albino strains without test breeding them? Okay, now if people did that today, they'd get pulled through and not hold backwards. You know, they'd be, you know, scrutinized for it and crucified. This has been going on since I can remember. It needs, the indiscriminate part of it needs to stop. It needs to stop uh, because we're just looking at pure, you know, sheer numbers here. I mean, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. So in and of itself, is it as big of a a calamity as as some people make it to be? No, I, I, I really don't think it is. But I... Is there a potential for it to be that? Absolutely. And that's why we're having shows like this. Exactly. Well, I think think as far as as the project goes, you know, if you want to salvage that project, say you had a group of bells and you thought that there was a possibility of a tremper in them or you find out later that there's a possibility of a tremper in them, if you want to salvage it, you need to pick some, some of the geckos out of it, probably the nicer ones and test breed them out, and then you can salvage it that way, but don't go right. and just keep on breeding it. That's, you know, that's exactly. the negative thing to do. Don't continue it just because, well, it's messed up, I, there's nothing I can do anyway. You know, don't get that at kind of attitude. You need to, you know, if you want to salvage it, you, you need to test breed out some animals and go from there. And, and actually, uh, I, I'm going to touch on something that... Um, you know, it, it could actually 
I could probably get crucified for it and stuff like that, but it's it's one of those things that it it might actually think very carefully. Know, think very carefully, yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, these the, these these you know words could be your last type of thing. Um, but you know, you, you kind of have to uh, you know you know bear with me on the explanation of the whole thing, and it uh, <laughs> it's are you sure, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure because um, you know right. I, I think in the, in the in the long run this is actually um, you know going to be beneficial to my me and my projects and that's mm-hmm. that's the whole reasoning for me doing it and it's it's like um, you know how I kind of you know said that you probably should have reworded your your initial question about, like, you know, the purity of a collection and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe this might stem some other breeders to do the same thing um, just for, let's say, the uh, to, to produce less of these animals that are, you know, they ain't painted, they're beautiful. Um, <laughs> and it's, no, not um, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. There and you, you know it's uh it, you know it's it's definitely one of those things that um you know I I did it and I'm definitely going to fess up to this is I actually produced my own painted animals this year and before everybody gets all all crazy and oh how could you do that blah 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 listen to my reasoning and and here is the reasoning for it you know we we always said that you know well, if you don't know the genetics of an animal, you got to test breed it to a bell, a trap, or a rainwater. Well, what if you already had an animal that was a genetic, you know, craziness of a multi-het that you would only have to use one or two females instead of five or six? And, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of after our, you know, roundtable discussion the first time, and, you know, even a little bit before that, I was kind of thinking about this. I was like, what if I had animals in my collection that they never left my collection, but they made it easier for me to prove out any males that were in company? And how would I go about that, and how would I, you know, make these animals and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, thinking as carefully as, as possible, I created animals that are my test animals. And it was to literally, you know, so I created less animals in the future by making these animals now. And it's, um, you know, basically what I did was I crossed Tremper Marbleize to both uh, radars and typhoons. So I actually have, um, you know, one group of animals is at for Tremper Bell. Eclipse and Marble Eye, and the other group is actually het for Rainwater, Eclipse, Tremper, and Marble Eye. So breeding one male to two females, I can test out for four things. And basically then creating less of these, you know, dirty hets if I were to you know, and it just depends on what female I breed these things to of to what I'm testing for. And, you know, in the long run, it is actually going to be 
using less females and producing less babies for, you know, test breeding anything that, you know, I have in the future. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, that might be ridiculed, you know, how could you create dirty animals whenever you're trying to prevent the dirty animals, but sometimes you need to make the dirty ones to fix any problems in the future. And, that, you know, that, does, that doesn't fall under the indiscriminate breeding uh category. Well, I, I, under, I understand that, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, that might spark somebody else to do the same thing so they have less test animals as well. And it, but, it, but it's one of those things that you have to plan it out. I mean, you know, you don't want males of it, like you want females. You, you know what I mean? Like you can't, um, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, you, because we all know that the, the male is you know, the easiest to test breed, blah, blah, blah. So that's why you want the females of these, you know, you know, crazy multi-heads, basically. Um, so it's easier to test out your males. And, you know, I think that's the thing that we got to remember is that the females are the hardest ones to test out. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, Loki was asking how many, um, you know, how many generations does it take? Well, a female, it could take her whole life. With, with a well, male, at least I mean, five. you can do it. Yeah, I mean, with a male, you could definitely do it in one year. I mean, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, I mean, you know, it's it's just a lot easier to test out a male. And that's why, you know, a lot of animals that I buy are males because it's, it's easier for me to test them out quickly. And, you know, okay. uh, you know, I, I, I kind of talked to John about, like, you know, what I was doing before, um, and it was... You know, it, it was definitely kind of a, a a weird thing to do, but it's one of those outside the box things that I was like, oh, I got to try it just to see, you know, what happens. I mean, they they didn't freaking melt in the egg or anything like that. They're perfectly fine, you know, uh, animals that are actually pretty big right now, and you know, it's just going to be easier to test breed stuff in the future. I got a scenario that is crazy that I want to propose to all of you guys. All right. Suppose uh, somebody out there buys uh, a, a male bell albino or a male shrimp or whatever, and they want to prove it out. So they go, they decide, all right, I want to prove out this male bell to see if it tests the shrimp. So they buy a shrimp or albino from someone. doesn't matter who. And suppose <laughs> they bring them together. And, you know where I'm going with this. And suppose they bring I them do. together and they oh produce. Gosh. Okay, I'm sorry. And they produce, they produce some albinos. At one point, how do you know that the test animals are pure to begin with? Unless you're using pure subspecies, which, you know, cancels that whole thing out. How do you know that the animals you're using are pure? Because what if that tremper female that you're using to breed to that bell male isn't het for bell? So, you know what I mean? Well, like, how can you... It, I, it I think like if a you pop anything now, you know, you know that there's something bad going on, so... <laughs> Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, so you know one or the other, so you, you know both could be possibly that. So. Right. But what I'm saying is, at what point do you, you know, do you trust the breeder and say, you know, you guys, you guys all said, you know, anybody that wants to be serious about this, doesn't matter who you get it from, you got to take time to test breed. So, at what point do you basically reconcile the fact? All right. Well, you're going to assume that these test animals are pure, so that they they can be used for testing. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say, guys. I, I personally tried to get the oldest line possible. And, you know, there there's definitely small pockets of old school breeders out there 
that have old lines of animals that they've never added anything to them. You just have to find classic, them. Classic, mm-hmm. classic, classic. Classic, classic. Thank vintage. you. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. go with vintage since it's coming back into style. <laughs> vintage, that's a good word. Um, and it's uh, it's definitely one of those types of things. I mean, I, I have a line of rainwaters that are very, very old. And what I did was I outcrossed them with subspecies, and then, you know, this year I'm crossing them, uh, crossing them back, um, you know, one, to make sure that there's no extra hats in there, and two, strengthening the line and making more of them. And, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing that you need to do. I mean, it's, uh, and, you know, I, I know that John's probably working on that kind of stuff too. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, one of those, one of those things where is that, that's what you kind of have to do is, is you got to find the oldest oldest line possible um, from the you know most reputable breeder possible and, and kind of go from there um, you know at the same time testing it as you go and that's where gonna you know a lot of the that, history of course well not yeah well, of not course everybody's, not everybody's you know. going to be able to do it because you know first of all like some of these breeders aren't even online or anything like that. So it's it's all yep. in your connections of who you know and you know where you're getting the stuff from. I mean that's mm-hmm. that that's the biggest thing, um, and it's you know it, it's hard to find you know stuff that is from way way back. It, it really is. Yeah. Uh, and it's just you know what do you think about that proposal, John? That that situation. I guess you probably feel the same about way that Matt does, but I don't know. I'm sorry, what was you the question? Coming? Yeah, I'm here. What was the last question? <laughs> no, the question the question I proposed, the scenario I proposed, did you hear what I proposed about, you know, when do you when do, when can you really say that your test animals are well, sure enough to, to be you know what I mean? Yeah. It, I think if if you're testing them back and forth and you pop say you breed a trimper to a bell and you pop out an albino from that. Well, for one, you usually can kind of tell what albino it might be, at least for more experienced breeders. But well, at least even if, in that, if it's a shrimp or a bell, you can. But sometimes now the rainwaters are throwing, you know, uh, that, throw, that throws a wrench in the work. Yeah, yes, for sure. But I think if you do pop one out, you got to take a step back on both projects until you know what's going right. on for sure. You know, I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't necessarily you know, condemn your male as being an, a multi-head until you make sure that female is clean, too, and maybe breed to another male the next year, or, you know, you just got to take a step back and make sure, you know, and then also with Matt and, you know, try to get pure ones to begin with. I mean, I think that should be the goal in the beginning anyway, just try to get the pure stuff you can to start off with, and that way you're not going to have as many issues if you have any at all, so. I think, mm-hmm. okay, um, I think another thing too is uh, I, I kind of wanted to ask a question for Matt. Do you think that you're gonna you take these heads that are possible double heads and make visuals out of them at some point, or is um, that maybe the next step? Or no, I actually don't think I want to make visuals out of them. Um, okay. Just because you know, at that point, it's like, what is it? Um, like, like we're saying. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's better to have them be heads for all four than to be visual for one or two. And, and hide um, and hide the other gene or two, right? Well, no, 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 no. It'll be like toss hats for the other ones, right? You, you know what I mean? Like that—that's the biggest thing. Is and, and that's well, you I, know, mean, I mean, go as far as testing them out to make sure they're pure, like the, you know, testing them out against Trimper and Bell, and finally getting, you know, a double albino. That you know, obviously the the benefits of having 
an albino that's visual for both is you're going to have a better, you know, um, success yeah, rate of testing yeah. your future animals. Yeah. You know, you're not going to have the 50-50. Um, but, I, you know, you could go to that extent where you actually test them out to the point where you have visuals of all, all the recesses in there. Well, then how do you tell which is the which is the you know what is being expressed? Well, exactly. That's my point. Okay, let's say okay, let's say you have an animal that expresses all three recessive traits at the same time. (laughs) All three albinos. How in the heck are you going to know? You know, (laughs) how would you know? It's chaos. It's chaos. It's chaos. I, this is all in theory. Seriously. This is all in theory. Yeah, but I mean, I would, of course it is. I would look yeah. at one that came out. I would look at one that came out really weird looking, or you know, maybe something a little different about it, and test breed it out. And if you breed it to visuals of, you know, say a bell or a trimper, and you should get a hundred percent. It'll take you a few years for sure. I mean, oh, yeah. this yeah. would be a massive undertaking itself. But you know, that's. I'm just saying, I mean, yeah, 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 when you're looking at, you know, the breedability and viability of, especially a female, is, you know, we're looking at six years. And that's (laughs) doing good. Yeah, but that that goes back to that uh, you wouldn't make a female if you were trying to create that question. Right. But but the the unfortunate part of it is you would be creating so many more unwanted animals trying to create it than if you were (laughs) just to stop at the step one. I mean, that's why. That, that that's why I don't want to like go to the next step is because I don't want to create more more chaos from it. It it's literally to create the the multi heads and then use those as um, basically your 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 test breeding animal and then if something pops out of that, like then just scrap the whole project. I mean because th- th- this is basically what would be you know my initial stage of of test breeding a male would be, let's, let, let's say it's a bell animal and I'm trying to test it against, you know, the, the other four recesses that are going to be in the, in the females that I put in there, which is the tremper, the, uh, the eclipse, the, the, the um, rainwater, and the marble eye against the bell to make sure that nothing else is in there. Like, you, you really only need that one female to, to test for that stuff, basically. But you, you, you're probably going to use two of that, of that style of female to, to make sure, just so that your odds are good. Um, but the, you know, if, if you hatch something out of that from those animals, I mean, then you really can just scrap the male because the male has something extra in it that you didn't want because you already know what's in, right. the, in, in the female. So, so literally, if, if that male has something in it you don't want, you get rid of that male before you even start in the project. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that's you know, in, instead of breeding him to, you know, four to four to six females, you can breed him to two females. Maybe you get a possibility of like twenty babies out of it. Twenty babies is a lot easier to easier to, um, you know, you know, get rid of his pets than it is to get rid of a hundred of them. And that's that's where the whole, you know, me trying to cut back on the amount of dirty animals produced by trying to test breed out one animal. Like that's that's you know where where this whole kind of theory, you know, came about is it's just an easier, quicker, more efficient way without doing more damage, basically. But that's only considering you have the quantitative uh, subjects. In other words, um, 
look at all the, and I'm not trying to be argumentative here. I'm trying to just kind of like throw up another idea here or another, another basis for this discussion, and that is let's just say that somebody has a total of 18, you know, adult breeders. Okay, compared to 1,800 or 800 or, or whatever. They just don't have the luxury of, you know, uh, of, you know designating uh, so many females to a, to a project or whatever. I mean, technically, uh, and now this is, just, this is just technically. Okay, you've got a female, uh, let's say you get a female tremper, okay, and you want to prove her out to make sure that she's not het for anything else. Now, in order to do that, you wouldn't want to put her to two males in one season. I mean, you just wouldn't if you really wanted it to be done right. So you've got this, you know, 14-month-old, 60-gram female that's ready to go. She's a tremper. So the first year you put her with a bell. All you get is normal, double heads. Okay, so another year passes. You know, you put her to a rainwater. You don't get any albinos. All you get is, you know, normal double hats. Okay, so, well, gee, I wonder if she could be hat for patternless. So the third year you put her with a Murphy patternless. Okay, and you don't, all you get is normal double hats. The fourth year you put her with a, with a, uh, you know, with a, a blizzard. Okay, and so on and so on. Okay, so by the time you're ready to use this female as the morph that she was, in, you know, that she was intended to be bred with, she's freaking five years old. I mean, there's, there's other ways to do it, Marsha, so you're not, like, just breeding it to a single base each time. I mean, you, you could use, like, an ember male and, and kill three birds. Well, I agree. With one no, I agree. You know yeah, I mean? you, could kill, so, you, you could kill two so morphs with one stone, sure. But, but I mean, the other thing is, like, is one season enough to make sure that she's proved for that, thing, that genetic that you're looking for, too? I mean, that's, that goes back to the whole, like, you know, probability stuff. I mean, I've seen, you know, 20 animals come out of the same female and them, you know, not hit on the genetic until the 21st. So, I mean, it, hey, it, listen, it, it, I, I, I had pure blizzards come out <laughs> until the third year. <laughs> well, and, and that, that's where, it, you know, it, it's, and that's why I always like emphasize that like your females have to be the the, the good ones. Like if you know you gotta you gotta test your males. That's that's the easiest one to test. Like your your females, like you mm-hmm. you gotta get them you know from a reputable breeder. It's like John was saying earlier. Like if you only have fifty geckos, like go with one project. Don't try to <laughs> don't don't try to compete with people that have you know fifty sixty projects going on. Because it's right. not going to happen with the amount of animals that you have. Focus right. on the one, and then go from there. And I mean that—that that just brings up the importance of like having subspecies and stuff like that. Is you know that you know you literally have you know a base to start from, and and it's like I've, I've told people I created like this um, this this project that I call Vanilla that is just like you know it, it's just a normal like that's it like there's nothing else in there and it's a building block. And, and that's why I created them, because they're a building block without using my pure subspecies. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to waste my pure subspecies female 
on, you know, testing and outcropping and all that stuff whenever I can just use these other ones that I created. So, you know, that goes back to the whole planning thing where it's, it, it's easier to plan stuff so that you don't, um, you don't have to waste females and you don't have to, like... Right, like right. That, that's the biggest I, yeah, that, thing. Yeah, that's a key word. Planning plan is it. a key word. Yeah, and, it, and it's like John said, like, he's, he's got, like, one-third of his females that are designated to, to testing. And, and, you know, unfortunately, that's what you have to do. I mean, I have test animals. He has test animals. Like, you know, it, it's just one of those things that if you have a big collection and you want to, you know, you want to make it as, as pure as possible, um, that's what you have to do. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people just don't do that. Like, why would they waste a third of their females whenever they could be making money on a third of those females? And that's that's where the problem lies is, you know, some people are looking at the dollar signs, but they'll slit their own throat to get it. And, you know, that's what you can't do. I mean, if you want to produce the the, the best leopard geckos that you possibly can, you, you have to do certain things. And, you know, not cutting corners is one of them. Yeah, that's why I only buy very, very select animals from certain people because, you know, I, I just don't know who to trust anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of like that. It's, you know, and I, I hey, see dude. the future. I know what the future is going to be. Go ahead, John. Um, I think one thing we talked about on the last show that's pretty important, I don't want to miss it before this ends, is, you know, using the the wild types for um, test breeding and then also strengthening our line. So, Maybe uh, we could go into that a little bit as far as the importance of that, too. You know, maybe... Okay, let me just explain something. Sure, sure, we can definitely do that. Let me just explain something to you guys. I'm looking at my, uh, my, my screen here, and it says that the show is being recorded, all right? But this is the first time I ever went this far over the two-hour mark. So I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it's being recorded. So, But, you know, I don't know for sure. But then I also see that there are people still listening... Uh, on their phones, they must have called in before the actual two hours ended. So, if it if it doesn't show up in the download, I, you know, I apologize. But we'll I, we can keep going, and if it, for some reason, you know, it doesn't show up, we can always you know talk about this again on the next roundtable. All right. But I just want you guys to know that. Um, but yeah, let's 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 talk about it if you like. We can go into that. Um, yeah, that part I, of it. I, I think I think we'll, I think John John should definitely go into that one because uh, you know okay. he's definitely a, a subspecies guy. Yeah, go ahead, John. Well, well, John John did such an eloquent job of describing what's involved and in, and how to how to you know utilize the subspecies um, in our last mm-hmm. roundtable. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I think it's I think it's very important and it's something that should be covered. Oh, I, well, I think yeah. we talked now, about now, now you're putting on the pressure. Show... So hopefully, I do it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't screw up, John. <laughs> no. Okay, it's all on you, John. It's all on you now. <laughs> we did we did better well, with this one than the last one. I know we did. So, you know, keep going. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think people sometimes people don't even understand what subspecies are or what species are. Also, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. basically, the original leopard geckos that came in were you know a mixed macularis and macularis being mostly from the Pakistan area. Um, there's different subspecies within this area. Um, anybody that studies, you know, leopard geckos in the wild or even geckos or other reptiles in the wild knows that, you know, you can go over one mountain range and there's a completely different subspecies or, you know, even 
the phylogenetics on these animals and showing that these are actually different clades of of animals, just completely unrelated, and they're so close together. So, um, first of all, from a genetic standpoint, we have all the we have a few different of these subspecies, and there might be more out there. And there's a few different species that we have. Um, so, some of them that you might hear, you'll hear fasciolatus, or sometimes you hear fascio, or Afghanicus, um, or Afghan, or Montanus, or Macularis macularis. Um, so basically, these these animals are separate from most of the the mutt geckos, quote unquote, that we have in captivity right now. So these are basically clean genetic slates from the wild, at least as far as we know. I mean, it'd be very, 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 very unlikely that they'd ever have a a random recessive in them, let alone one of the common ones that are that are out there. So basically these, these geckos are completely genetic clean slates. So if you were to take, say, a trimper or a raptor male and bred it to one of these subspecies, say a fasciolatus, you would get all normal-looking geckos that would have kind of the appearance, appearance of the fasciolatus, kind of a blend of the two geckos, and they would be het for trimper and eclipse because they're not going to have that, and they're not going to be het for anything else unless what's in that male is there's something else mixed up in there. So when we're trying to, there's two things that are good about using subspecies. One is strengthening your line. So you're using a totally different genetic outcrossing. So if you have a really old line that's been, you know, line bred for so many years and you're starting to see some problems with the geckos, sometimes genetic deformities or, you know, sometimes they can have uh, organ problems or whatever it is, it can actually strengthen your line. But then at the same time, you're using this genetic clean slate to purify your geckos. So I like to use the marble example because that's where I've actually utilized using wild types very specifically. And it's not an easy process to clean out an albino or, you know, to, to test breed these animals with, with subspecies necessarily. You can, you do have to produce quite a few animals to do it correctly. But um, say in the marble eye, for instance, my original group that I got from Matt, I got a marble eye trimper, and I got a couple uh, double head marble eye uh, trimpers from him. So basically, he took a marble eye trimper and bred it to a wild type and created um, geckos that were half subspecies blood, so half wild type blood, but they were going to still be het for trimper and marble eye. So when I say if I take that male and I bred it to those females, I would be producing, you know, everything. I'd be producing marble eyes, um, het trimper, um, and trimper marble eyes, so on and so forth. So what I did the first year to create the pure marble eyes is I took my original marble eye male and I bred that to a pure subspecies myself. And I incubated it for male, and luckily I got a male that year. So what I did the second year is I took that double het male, and I bred it to the double het females. And when I, I incubated everything for male when I did that. So as you can see, I'm already producing a lot of geckos at this point. And I, I produced three marble eyes out of that group, that were all 66% het trimper. So I produced more geckos than that. Some were het marbleized or possible het marbleized, possible het trimpers. There were some trimpers out of that, um, so on and so forth. So I uh, produced those three males, and I had a het male also. Um, but uh, out of those three males, I took, um, I basically held back anything that was visual trimper and marbleized. 
the next year. And I bred those males. Each male I bred to about four females just to test them out. And I got one male in particular that he started hatching out. Um, I think I had five or six babies that weren't tripper that came out of that. And so I started breeding him to more male, more females. So I've tested him to maybe five or six females now that were visual trimpers. And out of now producing close to 30 babies or so, maybe a little bit more than that now, um, I haven't popped one uh, trimper out of that. So now I can pretty confidently say that he is he is uh, a marble eye, not het for trimper. So even to be more sure, next year, or this year actually, um, I'm going to breed him some more subspecies. One, to strengthen the line, because he's going to be genetically related to probably a lot of geckos in the future. So I just want to even strengthen it more. And two, just to double check. So I'm going to incubate all these babies that I get from breeding him to a wild type and incubate them for female. And I'm going to bring him back to all his babies. And if I pop out an albino or something, then I know something went wrong. But it's kind of like a double check, like a last, you know, for sure, for sure, this male is good. And then also I'll be able to sell these as, you know, definitely pure marbleized at that point and have a very strong genetic going forward. Um, the other way, you know, just a basic way of testing with uh, wild types is just basically breeding your male um, to a wild type or a couple wild types and then breeding the, the male back to the grandchildren. So you basically take that male and breed them to all all the babies that, or that you produce from that, not the grandchildren, the children. So you basically breed them to all the babies that you produce. And in theory, you should produce, if there's any heads that are popped out of there, um, all those babies would be uh, 50% possible chance for whatever heads are in that male that you should expose any of those heads. And again, I mean, that takes a lot of, a lot of uh, babies to do that with, but um, I like to use it as kind of like a final check or kind of like a, you know, just to be sure and also also to strengthen the line, you know, at the same time. So you can kind of do two things at once. But mm -hmm. these uh, these wild types are very important for, you know, strengthening our lines that are very closed in and, you know, and they also offer that genetic capability of having a completely clean gecko and you know it's clean, you don't have any other pets that are floating around in it. And then also they do have, you know, as, as Matt was saying before, like Montana's, the line we work with, has a very snow-like appearance. So you could use that, you know, and breed it into something and, you know, go for a different appearance. Or you say you can breed an Afghanicus and you did get a different appearance, you know. So you can actually use them to outcross and kind of create different um, line-bred appearances kind of to the geckos. So. Hey, John, I can I ask you a question? <laughs> sure. Um, um, with the wild types, I mean, originally, all the geckos in circulation were originally wild types for going way back. Mm -hmm. um, is it possible mm -hmm. that some of these new wild types that we're working with and that we're assuming are pure could possibly have their own albino or eye pigmentation gene lurking somewhere in them, and it's just a matter of time before a fourth or fifth albino pops out from one of these particular geckos yeah i mean it's 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 always possible and you know these genetic traits or these anomalies have to start start from somewhere um mm -hmm. but it's very very unlikely you know like when the bells popped out the bell albino i mean they're working with massive numbers of geckos um you know rainwater from what i understand he imported many many geckos himself um and and you know trimper got a you know wild cots that were actually trimper so 
to expose a new albino is so very unlikely, especially from the small groups of wildcocks that we get. It's not likely. Um, you know, I trade. Yeah, I've, I've seen one. Yeah, there is a possibility. There's always a possibility. You know, you can always, you know, somebody could breed two geckos together the first time and pop out something crazy, but it's, you know, it's not gonna, not likely. And as you start right. breeding on a higher, like a larger scale, you kind of realize that. But you know, you're not gonna pop out a new albino, you know, every every year or something. You're, it's just not gonna happen. You have to produce. You know, usually they they come from heads floating down in the wild. And um, once in a while, those hets will cross, and they'll create an albino in the wild. And, you know, a big reason why there's so many ball python morphs is that they actually openly collect those in the wild, so they can go out there and look, and if they see anything weird, they grab it, and they breed it, and all of a sudden you got a new new genetic trait. <laughs> Whereas leopard geckos, we don't really have that option. We're kind of in a closed niche gene pool, and there's very few wild types actually still coming in. But, again, it is possible, not likely. Gotcha. Okay. Um, don't forget, Matt, tonight we have to post pictures of our beard updates. Oh, I already, uh, I already put one up, so you're, you're behind. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, I saw it. Picture with the business cards. My bad. Okay, so i yep. got to catch up. I, I got a special picture I'm going to post tonight. I'm going to do something funny, too. Um, but, yeah. Okay, well, we're at the three-hour mark. It's up to you guys. You guys want to call it a, call it a show? Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> well, I think I think we're good, and I can't think of too many people who are willing to sit for um, three solid hours and listen to us, you know, blab on. They're going to have to take the shift. <laughs> we really got a lot of good information out. We covered everything. Well, okay, I John, think we did. Yeah, on, on I think this is a really good show. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, uh, definitely another thing to touch on with, uh, you know, John was explaining that he doesn't think anything random would pop out of the, the subs that we have now. Um, I mean, I've been working with my lines for like six years, and every single baby is banded. I mean, like I, I, I rarely even get like a broken banded one, um, even one Didn't of the Didn't you see some agrimanio so. eye, eye pigmentation in your agrimanias? Did you see some of that Yeah, but that, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's not a you know, one that I've been working with for a long time. I mean, one of one of the animals that I, I bought has an eye pigmentation to it, but who knows what it is. I mean, you know, that yeah. the, the the amount of agrimanyu that are actually in captivity is actually very, very small as well. And they all came mm-hmm. originally from, you know, very small groups of animals brought in that, you know, John definitely knows a lot more about that than I do. Um, but... Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of the agrimenu in captivity are related, um, except if mm-hmm. they came from different prov- provinces. Um, so that's where, like, you know, me and John working together on stuff like that um, is, is going to be very, very key so that we're not, you know, inbreeding them too much. We kind of know, like, which bloodlines are what and stuff like that. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. that, that definitely helps out. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you guys if would like to have any closing remarks, uh, go right ahead. Now's your time. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Nobody wants okay. to go first. Well, it, go ahead, Marcia. You want to you want to say a, a few words? Well, sure. Um, okay. First and foremost, I can't imagine why anybody would want to listen to me three <laughs> three shows in a row. You're <laughs> doing awesome. Listen. But since you are, you got to see uh, the ratings. Just, the ratings are amazing. Oh, 